Hello guys, and welcome to the first 2017 edition of Humans of Magic. Man, I've been gone for quite a while. It's been, I don't know, two, three months since the last recording. And I wish I could have a great explanation for that. But really the only thing that I have as an explanation is life happened. Uh, it was the holidays, I was going through some stuff at work and in life. I really wanted to sit down and reflect on, you know, whether I should continue doing Humans of Magic. So we're back for one episode, but I'm not 100% sure if I'm going to keep cranking out episodes this year. Definitely not the same pace as last year where I was basically killing myself, uh, putting out an episode every week or every two weeks. Just got to be a little bit too much. I think this year, one of my big mantras is be deliberate. So basically, think twice before doing something, go into things with more of a sense of purpose, don't be on autopilot, all the things that you're supposed to do as a person, but I'm going to actually try to do this year. So yeah, if you want Humans of Magic to continue to be a regular thing, let me know. Email me, tweet at me, message me on the forums, send me a message on Reddit, all that stuff. I want to know that uh, this stuff is worth doing. I hope it is. And I think most of the time, last year when I was recording episodes, it was more for me and my guests, more than anybody else. I mean, it's kind of nice if you listen to this and you got something out of it, and I hope you did. But at the end of the day, I have a lot of fun doing it as well. And hopefully it was a win-win for everybody involved, the listener and also uh, myself and my guests making the, the episodes come alive. So what else has been going on? Well, it's Chinese New Year, and just basically chilling. A lot of big things happening this year. Big things happening for myself. I want to improve in several ways. I want to get a couple things done. Uh, this year, I'm not as focused on big picture goals so much as actually just putting in the work and trying to get better as a person every day. Sounds a little bit esoteric, maybe. Uh, self-improvement stuff maybe but that's honestly what's been going on for me right now is that I am trying to get better as a person and uh, actually today's guest um, Kai Savatari he's been a good friend of mine since we met in 2015 in Seattle I actually didn't know if I was going to do another episode of Humans of Magic until we made our schedules work. You see, it was about two months ago, I was having a really shitty day, and it was a Monday, I remember, I was just coming home from work, and lo and behold, I had a package in the mail, and I didn't even remember who the package was from and why I had a package, I thought maybe someone mailed me the wrong thing. But it turned out that it was actually from Kai. He mailed me a package from Japan, where he is now. It was a really thoughtful package. It had a hoodie from the store that he worked in, uh, still is working in, Tokyo MTG. Uh, free plug right there. It had a, a German card that I wanted to get from him for a long time, but for whatever reasons, we just didn't have a chance to meet up and, and do the transaction and more importantly, it was the gesture. It was a thought that counted. He really went out of his way to mail me something. He said, hey, James, it's around Christmas time. He got my address in December. And 
you know, I want to mail something to you. And I totally forgot about it after I told him my address. But that day that I got the package really made my day. Really did. And so why am I telling you this? Well, I had a really kind of a light bulb moment. You know, Humans and Magic is about getting in touch with people that I feel are really cool people. And what better person to kick off 2017 recording than Kai Salvatari? Kai is quite honestly just a great dude that loves life. I mean, you may know his name from sort of some of the magic tournaments he's played in. Uh, I think he had a top four in GP Kyoto, uh, 17th place in Grand Prix Lille, and you know, he's been all over the place. He's been featured on the Mothership in terms of coverage. He's primarily a legacy enthusiast. He is the master, the dark master of Storm. He and I have a couple of friends in common, um, Julian Knob, um, Peter Robb, uh, Jonathan Alexander, who I did an, uh, well, three hours of podcast recording with last year. Uh, yeah, basically Kai is just larger than life guy. And in true Humans of Magic fashion, we went through a lot of stuff. We went through sort of his uh, uh, growing up, you know, as a kid in Germany and then moving to Japan. He's half German, half Japanese, half amazing. Um, you know, how he started playing competitive magic and getting schooled by Peter Robb as a as a 12-year-old. Wow, can you imagine that? Like, just, you're playing your Elves Goblin casual deck where you're trying to win with Killer Bees or whatnot, and you just play this guy using Goblin Charbelcher, and he just destroys you. <laughs> I mean, it's kind of funny, but that's actually what happened. And Kai was a super competitive dude, despite his very pleasant demeanor, and he got back up, he started to learn the skills of the game. Later on, he started to play Canadian Threshold, got his ass handed to him every time uh, by Karsten Cotter, uh, who is a local Storm player, got better again, and, you know, he's really worked his way up into being an awesome Magic player, the person he is today. And a lot of it had to do with his own perseverance, uh, his family background, a lot of things that were going through his life. And so, had a lot of fun recording the episode. Uh, it was also maybe one of the the worst episodes in terms of audio quality. <laughs> You'll know once you hear it. I mean, I think uh, he was uh, doing the recording in his card store after hours, Tokyo MTG. Again, free plug. And I was doing the recording in my apartment, but firecrackers were exploding around me as I was recording basically because it was still Chinese New Year and you couldn't go anywhere without hearing fireworks. So it was very ghetto, you could call it, or maybe very organic. Didn't try to edit any of the the background audio. I thought it made it sound more quote-unquote real. So yeah, excuse you have to excuse me for that, um, for the less than stellar audio quality. But yeah, I mean, I'm gonna, I've been rambling for quite a long time. Just want to say I had a great time talking to Kai Sawatari, and uh, let's go. Hope you enjoy this interview.
Alright guys, today I'm hanging out with Kai Sawatari. Kai, how's it going, man? Hello everyone, it's Kai Sawatari from Japan. Hi. Oh damn, you bring all the different languages. That's awesome. Uh, so whereabouts are you located today, Kai? Yeah, um, so I just finished work. Um, I'm working at Tokyo MDG. Um, it's a store in in the middle in the heart of Tokyo, basically, and it's focused on Japanese cards, but also on English stuff. And um, yeah, I'm I've been working here for two years now, exactly two years, and um, it's a lot of fun. Yeah. <laughs> so, what do you enjoy most about working at Tokyo MTG? Like, so um, you know, after finishing high school and everything, like I had a question. Um, so where, where do you want to go? You know, what do you want to uh, what do you want to do for, you know, for living and stuff? And I really enjoy magic since I'm a little kid and, you know, like there was that was that. And also I'm half Japanese, so I thought, man, you know, after living like 18 years in, in Germany, it's it's maybe not not the not the worst to go back you know, to Japan. Just see how things go because the society is so much different and I wanted to check out a new a few new things and yeah so like it's it's like two new steps you know the first step going back to Japan after 18 years and the second step um, do a job which is related to my biggest hobby yeah nice so give me an idea because I've never been to the store I mean how big is the store and how many players are are there on a regular basis because I also hear some uh, background noise it sounds like uh, you guys have obviously players coming in <laughs> and, and stuff like that which is great with great great backdrop yeah. for recording um, yeah like how tell me a little bit about the store like the size and yeah everything. so right now it's uh, it's 7 p.m. in Tokyo and um, today's Wednesday which means it's uh, we fire off both standard and EDH like tournament like tournament for standard and like a free play area for um, EDH and um, the cool thing about our store is that we have we do have English speaking um, stuff including me including myself uh, which means that you know like I think we are the store of the most um, also non-Japanese players in Japan and um, they're also really really happy to get mixed up with Japanese you know when playing EDH and stuff because it's it's the game we all love and it's also it's really really interesting how people communicate even though they can't speak Japanese or Japanese who can speak English it's really interesting it, I mean if there's trouble then we are always happy to help but um, it's also just interesting to see how people try you know it's almost like at a GP yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I, I can remember that, you know, because I'm in China right now, and I know yeah. a lot of Chinese players, they'll go to Japan for GPs or whatever, and I can know for a fact that most of the Chinese players don't speak any English, and I know for a lot of Japanese players, they also don't speak English, right? So right. they always yeah. find some way to use hand gesture or some some way like right. they do the magic communication which is really interesting to see and also great because it, it means that the game is very global and people can play even if they don't actually um, are not able to speak the same language right oh definitely I mean like a lot of the magic keywords are um, almost the same they just sound a little weird I would say for for non-Japanese for example like untap is untapu or um, combat is combatto, and you know, like it's it's kind of like the same, but it also sounds a little weird, you know. But you get used to it. <laughs> yeah, that yeah, I do. I do notice that. I mean, I, obviously, I don't know any Japanese, but I do notice that there's appropriation of certain English words 
Um, right. And that may help English speakers, but for Chinese players, they're probably just as confused. So, <laughs> yeah. Um, right. But yeah, I mean, it's it's so great to get a chance to talk to you. I mean, I think we met, I want to say over a year ago, and we've been kind of in touch online, but I hadn't talked to you since, I guess, GP Seattle. That was like Seattle, 2015, yeah. right? Right. Yeah, it was it was a blast. Like, um, you know, after I, I think we um, we talked a lot about like you know my favorite uh, deck in Legacy, which is Storm, um, a lot. And then you know, like I finally met you at the GP at a side event, I think, not at the main event. I think I met you on Sunday, but it was it was really fun. You know, we went to um, this nice what is it like like a bar or something afterwards. It was yeah, it was it was nice talking to you. Um, so yeah, let's kind of start from the beginning. Um, I know you have you're a very accomplished Magic player, obviously, but I want to start from uh, get to know a little bit about your personal background. Um, I, I want to you mentioned, of course, that you're half Japanese and half German, but I want you to kind of go way back in time to the very beginning. Can you tell me a little bit about your childhood and what that was like and where you grew up? Yeah. Okay. Um, so for everyone who you know doesn't know me. Um, I'm I'm Kai Savatari, and I, my mom's Japanese, my mom's uh, my my dad's German, and I I was born in Japan in Tokyo, and I went to the Japanese kindergarten, you know, but before um, turning six, like before going to um, the elementary school, my mom decided to go to like to move to Germany um, for two reasons. Like the first reason was my my dad's new job. Um, and the second reason was that my mom really disliked the Japanese education system and like because it's too strict and you know like it's it just takes so much like school takes the whole time you know and there's like so less time left and space for for a kid to do stuff like you know like music or like, other hobbies so she thought that um, going to like another country especially Germany would be a really good way for the kids you know to become some something I don't know I mean when I was a kid like I didn't really well you know I mean I was four or five you know I, I, I think I didn't even I didn't notice anything but like now um, I really I'm really thankful because um, like I see a lot of you know like elementary students like walking the streets right and like like at 4 p.m. and there was a time when I you know was most likely like just playing outside with my friends in Germany and like I had so much free time in Germany and um, that also gave me so much time for um, starting like playing the violin uh, which I started when I was six also doing some sport it was uh, judo um, and also getting my hands on, on magic cards and of course other games like my, my family was really really into games, um, into board games and card games before, you know, but with card games I'm talking about something like Uno, or, yeah, Uno, or like no, normal Trump games, right? And um, and board games, something like, you know, Monopoly, chess, you know, stuff like that. And um, so we played a lot already in the family, and I have two siblings, a younger sister and a younger brother. My, my sister is um, nine months, oh wait, no, uh, 18 months younger than me my brother's three years younger than me but like now we are like kind of like the same age and um, there has been always uh, kind of like a competition between us kids you know um, I think kind of like your childhood James um, like you and your brother right like I, I mean I read your book and you know you had a lot of like 
magic competition with, with your brother. And that's exactly what I also had with basically the whole family. So <laughs> I see. So you're competing against your your two siblings, your your mom and dad. You guys all yeah. played games together, right? Right. Yeah. I mean, you know, like my, my father was pretty bad at gaming. Um, like whenever he, like, when whenever he was in a winning position, he he wanted to, you know, like. He was like, yeah, you know, like I feel so bad winning, like you know, like I just, I just don't wanna <laughs> let. <laughs> so like he, he did some some weird moves, you know, to just give us kids a chance, but we really disliked that, you know. We were like, hey, you know, dad, if you're competing against us, you know, just fucking do your best, you know, just don't try to help us and stuff. And Maurice, my mom, is exactly the opposite, you know. When she was winning, she was like completely just, you know, like like almost like like trash talking to to us and like yeah just to see how, how good I am and blah 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 and you suck kids and blah 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 right um so yeah that was really fun <laughs> so it sounds like maybe you inherited some of your mom's competitiveness or, or something uh, to that yeah maybe so <laughs> okay and were you the most uh competitive out of the the five of you uh, I would say I would say yes I would say yes yeah my um, my brother became more like a, a casual player you know like who doesn't he, who enjoys gaming but who doesn't really care about winning and losing I mean like not anymore um, and my sister is more like my dad kind of like so yeah what, what are some of the earliest games that you guys played? Was it Uno or was it like like the, the, the games that you guys played the most? Or did you rotate between a lot of games as you were, when you were young? Yeah, um, so maybe, um, maybe for, you've heard like, um, of Germany and like, a, like the high, how do you say, like the high level of um, German board, board games. Like, and Germany is probably maybe like uh, number one in the world for, you know, like board games and stuff. And they export a lot and... Um, so we had like this hu huge um, board game collection at home and there were like so many different games like I can't, yeah, like, like uh, Siddler, I think, um, what else, Jesus Christ, um, yeah, like Monopoly as I said, and like a few, a few other ones, like some of them were, you know, for kids and some of them were like o already for adults, but um, we, we, we're so used to games already that you know, like, even at the age of like eight, nine, we we, we try games, you know, for like twelve year olds and like sixteen years old, year old. So, yeah. Right, right. And uh, I I gotta backtrack a little bit. Uh, what did your dad do? Because you mentioned that because of his job, you guys all moved to Germany, right? Yeah. So um, it was basically my yeah my, my dad um who. He was German, um, as I said before. He lived in Japan for seven years, and he um, he worked as a Japanese, uh, as a German teacher. I'm sorry, um, but then he got a job offer from um, Toshiba, you know, for like laptop uh, for laptop designs and stuff. So that was uh, like a big reason for him to also to go back to Germany. I see. And your mom, uh, was did he, did she have a career as well, or she stayed at home, or what was it like for her? So. Um, she before she was a translator for like German Japanese, and that's also how my parents met, um, right? Because my my, my dad um, had a business trip from from Germany to Japan, and my mom was basically like she took care of the whole group. I mean, the group was like three four people, I think. But you know, like even after after the meetings and even after work, you know, like I mean, these Germans, right, including my dad, like they, they couldn't speak any Japanese, so my mom had to help them out. And um, so, yeah, they, they got to know each other, you know. But it was a pretty hard time back then because it was, um, 
a time where there was still a wall in Germany. So, you know, between like East and West um, Germany, and it was a pretty difficult time, I think, for, you know, getting married, um, especially with someone who is not living in Germany. I see. And, yeah. Yeah, I mean, um, was it also, uh, it sounded like it must have been difficult culturally. Um, was it also difficult for your mom too to I guess I guess it's like foreigner marry, marrying a foreigner right I mean is, mm. was there any um, challenge with that you know with their families and stuff like that or your families your grandparents kind of thing so so surprisingly it was it was pretty smooth um, mostly because my mom had already had some um, experience in like you know living in Germany um, because she, I think she lived in Germany for like two three years during mi uh, middle school I think. And that's also why she was so interested in learning uh, or like becoming better in German, right? And then she started like, you know, becoming a translator for German Japanese. Um, now, now she, you know, she's old, so she doesn't do it anymore. <laughs> but um, <laughs> she gives like some, some uh, Japanese cooking lessons in Germany. I mean, it's, yeah, I mean, you, you can make like a shit ton of money, but you know, my, my dad's, yeah, my dad has a really good job, so. Right. That's that's fine, and my mom just you know chills the whole day, and and like actually she is almost kind of bored these days. So sometimes you know she asks me if if there are like new online games or like anything on on her smartphone that can, that she can you know basically abuse the whole time because she has nothing else to do except meeting friends and cooking. And <laughs> that's pretty cool. I wish my mom asked me uh, what games she wanted to play. That's uh, yeah. That's pretty uh, pretty like, progressive. You know, I yeah. mean, you don't know how, how often I suggested magic. <laughs> um, and, you know, like, I, I got to a point where I I think she knows what, what a basic land is. I mean, and she knows, she knows, like, the five types. Yeah. And, yeah, and she also knows how to tap them, but I think that's about it. And, you know, like, I, I explained the, the basic land tapping thing, like, yeah, at least one. ten times, I think. Yeah. <laughs> and, yeah. yeah, I mean, it's in Japanese even. She could learn it. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Right. Uh, so where exactly did you guys grow up? I mean, where, how, where exactly did you grow up in Germany? So um, I grew up in Bavaria, um, in, in a, uh, a city called Regensburg. Regensburg, it's like uh, an hour away from, from Munich where um, Julian Knapp lives. Mm -hmm. um, you did also broadcast with him before. And yeah, yeah I'm also I'm, I'm, I'm a really big friend and also fan of, of Julian. Like he, he does a lot of cool stuff and yeah, so like Julian and I, we both share a lot of this, you know, like Bavarian culture. And I also, I also had a pretty strong Bavarian dialect before. Um, and I lived there for 11 years. Right. And um, that was also the time when I started to play Magic. Um, because after, fin after finishing elementary school, I had a decision whether to go to a normal middle school or to, uh, um, to a middle school which is focused on music and um, th but there were like a lot of restrictions um, so first of all you, you have to play at least one instrument and you have to sing and you have to join a choir and then you also um, have to be a guy so like no girls allowed only guys and also you have to be a Christian <laughs> wow that's so many yeah, conditions like you right have, yeah and to, to be fair, I'm not I'm not a Christian, <laughs> but my mom like um so my mom just you know just can you made just a, say that uh, you're Christian? And, yeah, yeah. She just said you know I'm Catholic or something. Yeah. 
because um, you know, like everything, everything else was fine, right? Um, yeah. yeah, she just well, I mean, wanted it's me easy, to, it's, to go it's to the easiest school, thing so. to fake, right? I mean, you can't right. fake that. Like you're, you're, you can't pretend to be a singer or a violinist, yeah. right? <laughs> right. <laughs> I mean, you can try. Yeah. <laughs> right. Um, so that was when I when I was ten, and um, I got in a new school. You know, like only boys, like uh, 20, 30 guys in the class, and um. If there are no girls in the class, it's actually not embarrassing at all to, you know, to try out nerdy stuff, I would say. You know, like card games. Like we, um, of course, I started with Yu-Gi-Oh! first because that's a game for, I would say, kids. Um, you know, like Pokemon cards and like, yeah, like all sorts of, you know, toys, right? And yeah. uh, like once someone in the class has, has a new toy, you know, like everyone wants to, you know, just get the same thing right and um so right i remember um like one or two months after i um started like you know um started my how do you say started my fifth class you know which is um the first class in middle school i got my first magic card i remember that day um i it was a it was a i can't re i can't remember the card name but it was a two mana black instant from visions i think and you have to as a additional cost you either have to discard cards or you have to um, sacrifice swamps and it deals like damage and stuff to creatures and it has like it has a lot of skulls on the artwork and it looked so horrifying to me and i really like the artwork and at that point i didn't even know that it's a card game at all like you know i, I thought it's just for collecting mm. and i um someone from from my older class he gave it to me and basically, he was just about to, to throw it in, in the trash can, right? Like, and like, um, I picked it up, and he was, yeah, you know, it's a game called Magic, and yeah, you can have it if you want. And I just, I, I kept the card, and I looked at the card so many times, and like, you know, like, yeah, it was basically my new, my new toy, almost, right? Just that card. And like, um, a few days later, the same guy um, also gave me like. A couple of new cards, you know, like mostly black, uh, because I told him that I really like, you know, like um, really dark artworks, uh, like necromancy and skulls and skeletons and stuff like that. So, um, yeah, I started to collect these cards, and I had absolutely no idea what to do with these cards other than just looking at them. And and then, like the other day. Um, I went to you know like this guy's class just just for a, uh, just because I need to talk to a teacher, and then I saw the same guy you know playing with others in like a group of like four right and like they they had their like that um, the decks and you know they played um, of course without sleeves <laughs> at yeah. the time, yeah. and it was so fascinating watching at them because they they did crazy stuff you know like like um, turning cards sideways and like I had no idea what was going on and. But yeah, I stayed there and I just, you know, I just kept watching and yeah, it was So it was you started watching and then you started to play with that group? Um, well, yeah, kind of, kind of, right. Um, so after that game, I, I talked to the guy and I was like, hey, hey, what are you guys doing? Is it, is it like, is it a game or something? And then he told me, yeah, like, you know, you, you can play like one versus one, like in a whole group. And then he also gave me my first basic land <laughs> before I didn't even know that 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 a land exists. Like I, I thought that it's only creatures. Yeah. I thought the whole game is only about creatures. And um, he gave me his uh, his like one of his 
planes. It was a it was a basic planes from um I think it was invasion or something. It was it was HP, you know. It, it was like ugh, it was, heavily played. Right? Yeah, it was it was heavily played, right? But you know, I didn't really care, and I I, ke I kept the um, the planes, and I had a I already had a huge stack of black cards. But I, but then I also got this one planes, and I thought that the planes is <laughs> so much more valuable than this whole stack I got, you know, because I only got one planes, right? Yeah. So um, at that time, I, um, some of my classmates also had the first cards, you know, like they they bought boosters and stuff, and then we started to trade. But you know, like I, for example, I traded my first basic planes, you know, like they heavily play basic planes against like a huge stack of, you know, just uh, like mono white creatures and stuff, you know, like. And I thought I made the best deal, and then, and then my classmate said, "Yeah, I mean, you know, it, it's it's a uh, plans, you know, you know how much it's worth, you know." And then, yeah. Anyway, um, yeah. And then um, shortly after that, we, we started playing um, the game. Um, the older students, you know, they introduced us like what to do, like the phases. At that time, we didn't really use something like the stack. Um, I mean, which is basically, you know, like the the whole idea of magic mm -hmm. but you know we were just you know like drawing cards playing lands tapping them casting creatures and um, we did it pretty randomly you know and but it was really fun it was really fun do you remember what were some of the earliest strategies that you started to learn uh, yeah so my first <laughs> I mean it was all casual but my first really competitive deck in that casual group was an elf deck um, I started my, I got my first cards when I was um, when it was invasion and shortly after um, scorch also came out and there were, and also legions and onslaught and you know there were like a lot of tribal cards in it you know including yeah. goblins elves clerics humans and I yeah I fell in love with elves <laughs> And um, I had a mono green deck yeah. with only basically only one really good win condition, which was Killer Bees from um, Ice oh, Age, I think. Killer Bees. Right, you can pump Killer Bees for one green mana. It's it's a one one flyer for three mana. You can pump it for um, for one green mana. And the good thing is that um, I had a I had a bunch of elves, including the one um, including Priest of Titania, and you know so I could basically swing for lethal uh, whenever I want. Also, I had this other guy, um, the two mana one one, which which you can tap and you gain life equal to the number of elves you control. So you so for especially in a multiplayer game, oh, yeah. when you play, let's say like against four four guys, you know you can kill player one while also you know just pushing your level uh, your your life total to a level where you know the other two players can't do anything about it. Oh and, yeah, uh, life gain so. is totally overpowered in Magic. I mean, it's just like <laughs> this unbeatable strategy, and it's really funny. I'm just kind of. Uh, smiling as you're telling me this because I feel like I don't know what it is with Wizards of the Coast they must have been pushing elf, elf tribal super hard because almost everyone I talked to on this podcast who yeah their first deck was elves like oh like, seriously yeah like literally <laughs> everybody it doesn't even matter what color they're playing now they could be playing miracles right now but they yeah. uh, they started off with elves like everybody started off with mono green <laughs> you know I mean like uh, someone like like Julian you know he, he's I mean he's, he he still plays elves right <laughs> yes and all these he years. he was telling me when he started he always had to create this weird win condition where he had to uh -huh. always he had to deal like one three three seven points of damage or uh -huh. he had to like create weird win conditions for himself like he was he was very eccentric uh, anyways that's <laughs> kind of a tangent <laughs> okay. but uh okay so there's there's some irony here right because you started off uh liking black cards but then 
the color of death, but then you you the, your first basic land was a plains, and then right. you you're uh, like given what you play now, you started off with like mono green as your first competitive deck. Um, yeah. But anyway, tell me how you went from sort of that to playing in tournaments. Sure. Um, so before that, like I, I would say, like there was there was a fundamental um, part of my Magic lifetime where I. Um, got to know what competitiveness or like in competitive decks with what that means because um, the other day I was still in I was still like 11 12 or something and I went to my local uh, game store in in Regensburg where I grew up and I met a guy there um, and you probably also know him and he is pretty active in the um, ep the epic storm group and his um, his name is Peter Rob and um, he, oh, interesting! You met him when you were I met, eleven or twelve, right? And yeah, it it was pretty crazy. I like I I was basically just a kid, right? Like I was twelve. I I knew nothing about magic, and I I had this elf deck, and I also had a, you know, like a like a pretty simple goblin deck, you know, like a bunch of like like raging goblins and stuff like that. Like no sharpshooters, no ringleaders, saying like you know, just just a pretty weak mono red, um, just a bunch of one ones with haste and stuff. Yeah. Deck like I had both um two of these. And I went to the store, and there were no tournaments, um, but I just wanted to play against unknown players for fun. And then this guy, Peter, um, he appeared, and he said, "Yeah, he's fine. I mean, he, he can play against me." And you know, like I was, you know, I was super motivated, and I was like, "Hey, man, you know, I, you're gonna crush this guy, right?" And like, um, I took my goblin stack, and he took a deck, which were, which he said is a casual deck. But it was a really interesting one because I think at that time it was an extended deck, and the gifts ungiven. Um, Kamigawa just came out, and um, it was a deck, a buck deck I think, um, with gifts ungiven, and he got uh, Genesis, Eternal Witness, um, I think, Cobalt Therapy, and also like something like Pernicious Deed. I think like like these kind of like um, cards or even like a gift in the gifts pile and I had to read the card gifts ungiven so many times and he explained it to me and like why, I, why are he well, like why is he using that card this makes no sense right <laughs> right yeah you know like I was slamming like this one minute one one goblins and then you know and he didn't do anything um until turn four and at that point you know I mean because I'm my deck was not that good like he was mostly above 10 life points yeah, and then end of turn he resolved the gift ungiven, and I had the, I had such a hard time deciding what to give him and what to put in the graveyard. You know, like I didn't understand how Genesis works. I thought the whole time, you know, having like a five mana four four in the battlefield is too strong, so I better put it in the graveyard. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and like it's only witness. I mean, two mana, uh, three mana, two one. Yeah, I mean, I can deal with that, right? So I give it. I gave the witness in the hand. Yeah. <laughs> And finishes deed in the graveyard and so on, but you know it didn't really matter because um, he got the eternal witness going, got finishes deed, you know, blew everything up, and then he could he could um, get witness back with Genesis and do the whole thing again and again. Like he could basically blow and blow up the um, the battlefield, you know, whenever he was the mood for. Mm -hmm. And uh, like it was to a point where I had basically only lands on the table, zero cards in hand, and he had like seven cards in hand. He had the superior board position. And um, I still didn't want it to scoop. Like I, at that point, I didn't even know that you can't scoop 
So <laughs> right, you gotta play it to I, the end. So I thought, you know, I mean, yeah, okay, you're gonna suffer until you know until you die. And his only win condition was actually Eternal Witness, I think, and Genesis. And then after the game, I asked him, like, why don't you play like big creatures? Like, why don't you, you know, why don't you play uh, like you know good stuff, you know, to um to actually beat your opponent? And, and then Peter Peter said something which still I think also defines my Magic character. And he said, um, if you are in a winning position, then it doesn't really matter how big your creature is. Like, if your opponent hasn't doesn't have you know, if he has basically nothing on the field, then even a even a Llanowar elf can kill him, right? Like it doesn't have to be a Emrakul. Yeah. It can be a one-one. And having also like uh, uh, um, the least amount of win conditions in the deck also gives you so much room for interaction in other things. And the first time he said that, like I didn't understand a word he was saying. You know, <laughs> it's like yeah. yeah, just okay. Well, I have no idea what what he's talking about, but. I couldn't beat him once, and um, and then after the game, um, I asked him if he can, you know, change his deck, right? And um, then he grabbed like another deck box from out of spec, and um, it was a deck uh, which we know in Legacy, which is called Belcher. <laughs> <laughs> wow, he just likes beating up on little kids, doesn't he? Like just yeah, degenerate combo decks. Uh, <laughs> no, oh, I'm just kidding. Absolutely, you know. Um, he wanted and, to teach you a lesson. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, like you know, I mean, Belcher. Like I had to read every single card, and especially the card Simian Spirit Guide. I was so confused about because it says it's a three mana two two, but you can remove him from your hand and get a, generate a green mana. And I asked him so many times, just why don't you cast it for three mana? It's a two two guy. It's so good, right? But yeah. instead, like he, what, what, like why are you throwing it away? And and um, yeah, and then. He, you know, he cast like a bunch of like rituals and, and chromarks and stuff, and got his goblin charbelcher, and then he activated it. And I knew goblin charbelcher from before because I also had one copy in one of my decks. But you know, I had like a deck with like 30, 40 lands plus goblin charbelcher, so it dealt like one damage sometimes, sometimes two. So uh, you had never uh, seen these cards being used in such a focused way, right? Where like oh, definitely not. Yeah, and then we, when when then when he told me that. He has only a single Taiga in his deck. Like I couldn't believe it, and I I thought for for a moment I thought that I don't know anything about Magic. It's at a all. different game, right? Because you're playing a different game when you play him. Right. Yeah. And that day, like, um, we met a couple of times in, at the store, but I didn't have his phone number or anything, and I also like social media wasn't that big at the time. So, um, you know. I tried to be at the store as often as possible to just have a chance to to meet him, you know, and like try, try <laughs> yeah, because yeah. it was so fascinating. Like the magic he played, like his Charbelcher deck, his Gifts Ungiven deck, like the, it was so much different than anything I've seen before at my school, you know, when playing with my classmates, because they were like as dumb as me, you know, and like they just kept playing like Morfolks and goblins and humans and clerics and whatnot. So what came after that? I mean, you met up with him a few times, and then he yeah. he played his decks. I mean, did you then start to shift your deck building to those kind of strategies, or like how did you how did you take the step from elves and goblins into into being more competitive or playing in the first tournament? Mm -hmm. Um. So after that, um, after finishing middle school, we the whole family, my whole family, like we moved to Berlin, at the capital. Um, because of my dad's job, and um, I had to go to to high school there, you know, like a normal high school, you know, boys and girls. Yeah. 
right? Um, and because of that, I didn't play Magic for, I would say, almost two years. Um, so I skipped the Shards of Alara block entirely. I also skipped, what was before Shards of Alara? I don't, I don't even remember. Yeah, but I think I, I skipped like um, some sets before that and after that. Um, and then, like I did, yeah, I was I wasn't even thinking about playing Magic when I was in Berlin, and because you know when you when you move somewhere, and if you don't have a Magic group there, then it's really really hard to you know to do the first step, yeah, um, to find a play group, you know, and stuff. So, yeah, so, it was a little. So Magic hard. wasn't really like on your mind, or maybe right, it was, not, but you were not like playing. Have, didn't have a regular play group. Right, not at all. And but then. And one of my classmates, he had on Facebook, he had a random picture in his profile pictures, which was an underground sea. And I didn't know what underground sea is, but I could definitely tell that it's a magic card. And then I, you know, I talked to him and was like, hey, like, dude, I, I saw this pic um, on your Facebook account and like, it's, it's, it's a magic card, right? And, and he was like, yeah, yeah, like, you know, he has like a, a group of six, seven players and they only play EDH. I didn't know what EDH is, um, so I asked him, and yeah, and then he, he invited me to one of his um, EDH evenings. It usually started at, you know, like 10 p.m., 11 p.m. until the morning mm-hmm. um, before school, you know, like they, they went to school after playing EDH, and um, they invited me, and I had no EDH deck at the time, but I, you know, I joined, I basically built Peter Ops and Gifts Ungiven deck. <laughs> okay. Like as much as I, as, as much as I remember from um, from his deck, I you know I put everything in. I think there were like a lot of odd cards in it, but um, it was a sixty card deck, and I played with this sixty card deck against you know like five six EDH people, and um, it was it was really fun. And then they they told me that um, there's also a weekly legacy tournament in uh, in Berlin, in East Berlin, in a store called um, Hotbox, and. That's, that was the first time when I actually heard about tournaments and like going to tournaments. I wasn't really interested in going to tournaments, but when when they you know just they convinced me to go and said, hey, you know, I mean, you, you can just take your gifts and give them whatever deck and just you know just see what happens, right? Yeah, peer and, pressure is very powerful. Yeah, <laughs> and yeah, we went there. Um, I at that point I al- also had a green blue madness deck. Maybe you remember James? I'm from from Odyssey. It was a deck in extended, I think, um, like Aqua Amoeba, White Mongrel, Wild Mongrel Fast Brute Baller, yeah, Arrogant yeah. Worm, yeah. Circular Logic, Deep Analysis, you know. Yeah. It's a pretty good deck. Yeah, it was It was really fun. It was also pretty cheap. That's why I picked it up. Yeah. And um, that was the deck I, I chose for that tournament. And um, yeah, and then, you know, it was, it was a really weird experience because um, all of a sudden you play one against one. One versus one, and there is no no one next, no one who is sitting next to you, and who can you know like assist you or help you or, you know, like I was just by myself, and I had to um, figure out a lot of things, and uh, just by myself. For example, I got paired against this one guy in in round one. It was my very first game in in a in a tournament ever, and he had a creature called Tamogoyf, and um, I also remember that I also cracked a Tamogoyf before in a pack when I was back, back in Regensburg, but I sold the card for like two, three euros or something because I thought the card is pretty shit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> it turned out it was uh, way better than my Wild Mongrel. <laughs> like, it's okay, half the world thought it was shit when it came out. Yeah, so. like I had to discard my whole hand to beat this Tamagoyf, right? And then he just plowed my Mongrel or something like that. So, um, 
yeah and then he told me that his Tamagoyf is worth 40 euros at the time and it was mm. way more than my entire deck mm. and I asked him why like is is there any is there any way to build something competitive for really cheap you know and which he replied with um you know if you want to be competitive in magic um you you have to spend money from time to time especially for duels yeah and because at that time i only had you know like comes into play tapped oh yeah lands, you know? yeah the shock lands kind of yeah 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 right oh like not not even shock lands oh, the, like the, old like, like the ones you can't even choose they have right. to come and play tapped yeah <laughs> the really bad ones i see um, well that that's kind of true advice right you do have to spend money from time to time right yeah like and i think for most people um it was you know it's like why do you have to spend so much money for a land which comes into play untapped you know i mean isn't it just a like like a minor thing but turn out you know it's it's actually pretty crucial <laughs> yeah i mean it, it must have been um tough to understand some of those things like for example why the land is worth so much or why the tarmogoyf is 40 euros yeah. right i mean Definitely. did you how long did it take you to kind of understand that like how the game really worked like for example oh. um mm -hmm. was it was it almost right away after you started playing tournaments or did you already yep. have some sense before that um pretty quickly um after, like before the tournament i had absolutely no clue about tournaments at all and competitiveness but um i mean i got crushed um four rounds like pretty easily you know but it was like that day i remember i i went back home with my friends um and then we talked about the, the matches and i looked at my deck again and I was so motivated to become better, you know, to, to be able to at least win a single game, you know, or deal some point of damage before I die. And so this huge loss in the first tournament, like, yeah, it was basically my biggest motivation to become better. And so I tried a, a lot of new stuff, you know, um, for example, I, yeah, like I, I bought a... I, um, I bought a Bloodgast, for example, you know, like, like, like Bloodgast was, was um, <laughs> probably the most expensive card in the deck, but it has nice synergies with both um, Aquamib and White, and White Mongrel. Yeah. And then I got my, my hands on Vengevine, a creature which um, most people know from, from the old uh, blue-green survival deck in Legacy. Mm -hmm. um, I didn't even have the card survival in my deck for some reason, because I didn't know it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, like from time to yeah, like I started to include you know more powerful cards in the deck, yeah. including also stuff like Ponda Brainstorm and Umezawa's Jit, and yeah, and and then I slowly started to you know also win games, and like the more yeah, like the often uh, the more often I went to these tournaments, you know, the more I was just like stoked to um, get better at playing and also getting better cards, and like whenever I, for example, finished like two two which was already super decent for me at the time, you know, I, I was, yeah, man, Kai, good jobs, so, you know, that <laughs> screams for a new Umezawa's Jit for my deck, you know, so I, I bought one, and the deck got better, I got better, and it was a really fun time. Okay, I gotta um, ask, because you're a native Japanese speaker, is it Jit or Jite? Oh, it's, uh, it's, uh, let me ask my boss. Jite is, of Japanese, it's Jite, ne? It's, uh, Umezawa no Jite. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah. So, so I, the answer I, is none I, of the I above. It's actually my, yeah. my German boss, which is kind of weird about Japanese. Which is, yeah. <laughs> okay. All right. That, that settles okay. the record for uh, people who are still calling it jute or some weird oh, wow. sound. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. okay. 
All right, that's that's, that's cool. <laughs> so uh, you start to spend more money on some of the cards, you know, like the blood gas, venge vine. Yep. And do you right. remember like when you started to kind of um, cross the chasm, like for like going from like a, a two-two scrub to uh, someone who actually started to do well in yep. in tournaments? Do you remember like not just exactly what time, but like do you remember like if you had any mindset shifts that allow you to do that? Mm-hmm. Um. So after finishing high school, um, I, my parents, um, you know, asked me if I want to go back to to Japan. Like I was 18 at that time. Um, they, yeah, they asked me if I want to go back to Japan just for like a year or something, just to see how Japan works before I go to university. Um, because you know that would give me the option to see Japan from a different angle than before. Because before it was, you know, Japan was you were too young, basically, right? Yeah. yeah, I was I was a kid. You know, like I only remember. Um, the kindergarten, the local supermarket, my, my favorite sweets, and that was it. And um, and now I got a chance to to go back to Japan for for uh, for a year. And um, they they paid and you know they arranged a language school like a Japanese um, basically um, yeah like a repetition basically from just for myself because my Japanese was based was you know was not that good. It was like a five year old Japanese plus some number of oh, new I see. So you were speaking a little bit at home, but you were not like formally schooled in Japanese. Oh, definitely not. No, like I went to a normal German school. I, and I only talked to my mom in Japanese. And you know, like, you know, James, when, when you talk to your mom, you know, like you, you don't talk about exciting stuff, you know, you know, like, like, right? Like, it's the same yeah, stuff. It's like, yeah. Yeah, w- yeah. What's up for dinner? You know, like, um, can you get me this, that? You know, like this kind of stuff. Okay. So, 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 what, what was that like? I mean, it must have been very different now. Now that you have to um, live in Japan for a while. I mean, what, what, like, yeah. As a teenager, I mean, what? Ex- just share with me, like, the experience. What, what that's <laughs> like going going suddenly from Germany to Japan. Yeah. Um. It was a huge step. Um. I mean, James, you, you know, um, I mean, you went to China from, from Vancouver, and I guess it's almost kind of like the same, like going from Germany to Japan. Like, there's, there's so many differences, and it's like almost like, you know, exi- um, like almost the opposite. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so it's, yeah, it's not even comparable sometimes. Um, yeah, like I, I went there, I stayed at my, at my grandma's house, and I went to this language school, and after that, I was basically free, and I did a lot of, of jobs, you know, like including um, teaching German at a, at a German school. I also did some modeling when I was good looking. Like I know I'm a little chubby, <laughs> um, <laughs> and um, I also played a lot of violin, and you know, I I joined like some number of bands, and so I yeah, I, did, I had a really fun time. But at the same time, I also started the real competitive magic in Japan. Um, this, my first, I would say my first competitive legacy deck, uh, which was Canadian Threshold. Um, r- or like Rock Delva, if you will. And um, No, uh, Canadian Threshold, let's go with that. Canadian Threshold, yeah. It was, <laughs> Best deck it of was, all time, as you said, right? <laughs> yeah, it, 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 is, uh, it was 2012. And I, you know, I had, yeah, I had a lot of like backup money, you know, for Japan, for the whole trip in Japan. And I spent a lot of it for getting six duels at once, you know, three tropical islands, three volcanic islands, four fossil wheels, and 
also my first Tamagoyfs. <laughs> okay, so you blew all your money on magic cards. <laughs> yeah, I basically blew all my, ma my, um, yeah, my money into magic cards. And um, the competition in Tokyo was huge, like so huge. Like Berlin was basically nothing against, against Tokyo. Like even after um, joining, you know, legacy tournaments for almost half a year, I still met people or opponents, you know, for the first time, you know, like because there are so many players in Tokyo. And also, by the way, like I still do, like even now, even last week, I, I went to a legacy tournament um, here in Tokyo and I played against two guys who are living here in Tokyo for like so many years and I played against them the first time, um, which I thought is absolutely impossible after living here for two years. Mm. But, you know, it happens and they're like so many players and it, it's so innovative. Mm -hmm. um, I think the biggest difference between Japan and Europe, I think, when it comes down to deck building, is that Japanese are really, really creative, and and they don't do a lot of net decking. Of course, I mean, you know, like everyone does net decking from time to time, but um, in Germany or let's say in Europe, a lot of people, you know, before going to a tournament, they usually look decks up in like TC decks or any. Yeah, Some anywhere of those like that. Japanese decks, man. I gotta say, I'm super biased because I just look at the deck list without having played against them. But they're just so yeah. weird, man. It's like I don't know why it is that I see these deck lists that this this is this is basically how I can tell if something is ja a Japanese deck list. Uh, I'll tell you the uh -huh. secret, okay? Something yeah, that sure. should be a four of becomes a three of. Something that yeah. should be a zero of becomes a one of. Like I, yeah. I have no idea why this stuff happens. Like uh, right. it, it feels like very anti-consistency. I'm kind of going on a tangent here, but I, I, mm -hmm. I sometimes I look at the deck. I'm just like, what's going on here? Like, or I felt like I've traveled back in time, like to some other period oh, of, of magic. You know? Yeah. Yeah. So um, just for instance, you know, um, for example, in 2015, like one of my best buddies, he played Buck Delver, and and it was it was a time after um Kanto Taki, and he added a card. Um, which most players don't know if they play um, only Legacy. The card is called Dead Drop. It's a it's a it's a black card for I think nine or ten mana with Delve, and it says target player has to sacrifice two creatures. And that was a card he played um, exclusively against Death and Texas and like and Jund. Mm. And you know like stuff like that, you know. And like the, and he made top eight with that deck and Dead Drop in the sideboard. In a um, 400 play event, I think I yeah. also made top eight at the same um, at the same tournament with Storm. Yeah. But you know, like his deck got the whole attention because the next day when I um, start working at Tokyo MDG, you know, like I look at the orders and all <laughs> our dead drops, they were all gone. You know, <laughs> the foils are gone. <laughs> yeah, like everything was gone, and I was like, oh fuck, is 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 that the new? Is this the new? I don't know, the new. The new My goodness, I still have not heard of this card until you just told me this. Yeah. Like what the heck you know, is like, this? This is, this is awesome <laughs> technology, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Also, for example, last week in uh, in our Legacy tournament, I, I saw um, um, I think we all know the uh, the Reduke, um, what is it like the, the uh, Buck deck, right? Yeah. Like the Leovold Trunen Nemesis Buck deck, which won GP. Uh, what was it? Louisville. Uh, Louisville, Louisville, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. He won the tournament, and like a week after, one of my buddies, he came up with a deck including um. Four Leo Volts, but instead of True Name Nemesis, he played Days Undoing. I mean, which is a pretty fun card if you have a Leo Volt out there because you draw seven and your opponent doesn't draw anything. Right, right. <laughs> like one card, yeah. That's pretty cool. So, like, I mean, I'm not saying it's good or anything. It's it's just really interesting and it's it's so much fun to see what you know, like the just the process of um, coming up with something new or fancy. 
um, which gives you an advantage in, in a tournament because if no one is prepared against your uh, real strategy, then you know. Yeah. Okay, so I, I apologize for uh, going off tangent, um, but going back to like Canadian threshold, was, yeah, sure. that, was that when you made your breakthrough as a competitive Magic player? Was oh, yeah. well, I guess it sounds like one part of it is like now you're in an environment where it's a lot of players, a lot of exciting stuff, but also you picked up Canadian threshold. Like, so what was the breakthrough moment for you? Um, the breakthrough was I like, and when I play when I start playing Canadian threshold. Because since it was my first competitive deck, um, I wasn't really good at it. I absolutely admit I was pretty bad at this deck, uh, but I had a lot of fun. Um, what I really enjoyed was ca casting cards for zero or one mana. Um, even a card like Tomogoyf is pretty clunky at the time. Like you know, I thought it's pretty clunky, and I started cutting Tomogoyfs and and start you know like increase um, some number of like zero one mana spells, and um, I had no major results in Japan back then. I only stayed there for, you know, a year. But then, w when I went back to Berlin after that year, um, I, you know, I got back in this Berlin legacy group, right? And, like, I already had this Canadian Fresh deck, and some of my older friends, they were like, oh, wow, Kai, like, you, you invested a lot of money, you know, like, you know, like, they knew me from the Madness times, from the blue-green blue, by Mongol time, and all of a sudden I had a Canadian Threshold deck and I start to actually winning like a lot of tournaments, like local tournaments in Berlin, um, except one guy. There was one guy I couldn't beat at all in Berlin. Um, he, he's um, Carsten Kotter. He is a former um, writer for Star City Games, I think, for especially for uh, Legacy and Vintage, for Eternal stuff and he played a deck called Ad Nauseam Tendrils uh. and so, okay so I, I think now it, you know it gets like a little wrapped up um so he played a deck called Ad Nauseam Tendrils, Dark Rituals, Lionside Diamonds, Infernal Tutors I played a deck with a lot of counters in which I thought is really really good against combo yeah. and um Usually what happened is that, you know, like in a four-round tournament, I started 3-0, he started 3-0, and then we met in the last round, or we even met in round two or three, and I couldn't beat him. Like, no matter how hard I tried, I couldn't beat him. I couldn't beat him when I had double Delver. I couldn't beat him if I had just one Nimble Mongoose and, like, a billion counters. Yeah. I, could, I still couldn't beat it. And um, because I think I target, I countered the, the wrong cards, or he was just so, so good at... Um, casting his spells through and around my spell pierces and dazes and stifles and stuff mm -hmm. you know mm -hmm. he was so good at it and but you know like at that point i was already pretty convinced that i'm a decent player and um, even though i think i was not um and i you know i i keep i kept on you know like saying hey carson like you know next time i'm, go I'm gonna beat you like i it was just really unlucky <laughs> blah 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 i told like i told him the same shit like so many times yeah and un to a point where i had to give up i i said like one day i said okay carson i can't beat your deck i don't know why please teach me how to play storm uh -huh. and that was mo mostly like the breaking point for me um and it comes down to actually winning a lot of tournaments because um as you can see, my all my um, major finishes in tournaments are all with one exclusive deck, which is Atnosim Tendrils. <laughs> right, right. So he kind of uh, taught you how to play the deck initially, right? Yes, yes. And the first step is like he he just gave me his deck, <laughs> and he was like, "Yeah, take take an opening seven. I took an opening seven, and then he he asked me, "Yeah, so Kai, what would you do?" 
and I stared <laughs> at these dark rituals and lions of diamond and lotus petals, and I had no idea how, um, if I have to mulligan or um, what to search for and yeah. you know what to do, Just right? Totally because lost. All, of a, yeah. all of a sudden you ha you don't have creatures, you don't have removal, you don't have counter magic. Like you have a bunch of just like mana generations and um, generating things and tutor effects and yeah. So like I did a lot of stupid stuff with the deck first, and then he taught me a lot of little slight things. You know, like you know, yeah, you 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 need to have at least like one land in the hand and uh, then you play it and then you're looking for this and this and this and then depending on your opponent you know you have to search for that and um, I probably did, did a trillion of goldfish um, against like a no, against no opponent right um, and every turn and, he, and Carson reminded me Kai if, if you pick up a storm deck every single turn starting on turn one you have you have to ask yourself can I win this turn can I kill my opponent or can I prevent uh, my opponent to win before I kill him right and this is a fundamental fundamental uh, question um, I mean in magic in general but you know when playing with Canadian threshold you know it's not that important because um, you know if you have a threat you know I mean you, you can see on the battlefield what's going on right and yeah. also in your hand but when playing at Northern tendrils you can win all of a sudden and that was so new to me and yeah <laughs> it's very mind-blowing uh like i mean it sounds like you've been playing the game for a number of years but yeah. if you start to play tendrils for the first time it's like you're playing a new game right absolutely and i really enjoyed it um one thing um which i really really like about Anonymous tendrils also the, um also for the same reason um, why i like canadian threshold is it plays a lot of zero and one mana spells mm -hmm. uh, so you know it's it's not like dredge or it's not like sneak and show where you have to you know like tap so many lands for just a spell or like or you don't even cast a single spell at all uh at Northern tendrils was so elegant and it also did kind of like the same thing as canadian threshold you know it when it comes down for casting cheap cantrips and stuff and cheap mm -hmm. disruption so i really enjoyed that there's a and, certain uh, elegance yeah. to that yeah oh definitely yeah also also you know like it's the whole deck, you know, like you have a 60 card deck, but only one card can kill your opponent, you know, like the, the remaining 59 cards are designed to support this one strategy, you know, just like it, it, it looks so beautiful to me. Right. And um, yeah, so that I was I that was that your I, that one card was your version of Eternal Witness or uh, Charbelcher. Oh, def yeah. yeah, definitely. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's awesome. So, I mean, but I mean, knowing Storm, uh, I mean, obviously I'm not as accomplished as you are, but it must have taken you uh, uh, some time to get up to speed on that. I mean, how oh, did you did you switch over to Storm, like, dedicated at that point, or how did it work? Um, yeah, I would say, yeah. Like, I was, so, um, Storm is a deck, um, which, you know, like, which carries you to high finishes, if you do well and if you know what you're doing and you know I felt like okay like the more I the more I know about it and the more I test it the better I get at this deck I mean like more with like any other deck for example if you play Junt a deck like Junt for 10 years I don't think that you're gonna improve like sig significantly after the fifth year you know yeah. but if you play Storm for let's say 10 years then you clearly know what to do and um, you can also do it pretty quickly and yeah, so I 
I did a lot of gold thrifts at home, and the first tournament I took um, Storm with uh, was Bazaar of Moxen. I think it was Bazaar of Moxen eight or seven. Yeah. Um, I went there together with a group, of, including Carsten Cotter, also Peter Rapp, um, who I met in Berlin again after yeah. all these years. And he, and it was a big coincidence because at that time I play, I started to play the Epic Storm first. Sorry, yeah, like I, I think I, I, I bought uh, the cards for Epic Storm first, and then at Northern Tendrils. Mm -hmm. And he also, uh, it was a big coincidence. He also played um, the Epic Storm over at Northern Tendrils, basically because he thought that you know, the same for um, Charbelcher that you know ha um, comboing off on turn one or turn two um, is probably you know good enough or like better than you know having like a consistent turn three deck mm -hmm. yeah. and I at that point like you know like, he was like he was basically my my magic tutor you know like <laughs> he was your infernal <laughs> so I, tutor yeah yeah he was my infernal tutor and I was okay yeah I'm definitely gonna stick with the same 75 card and that was the first uh, Bazaar of Moxen. I, I think it had like 600 or so players. Um, Julian Knapp won the event, the main event with Elves. Yeah. And in the top eight, there were like, I think, three or four Storm players, including Timo Schunemann, who also uh, won GP Ghent. Oh, yeah, and, I remember his GP Ghent victory, yeah. Right. And also uh, Jamie, Jamie uh, Westlake, I think, from, uh, from Netherlands, who is also, I think, Probably the best play, uh, best dawn player in the Netherlands, and uh -huh. um, he also made top eight, and some others also. Um, and yeah, like I didn't really finish well. Um, after that tournament, I exclusively played Storm. Sometimes also Canadian Threshold, but um, I was just so like I was sure that casting Dark Ritual is just way more powerful than casting a White Mongrel. <laughs> and, mm -hmm. uh, uh, sorry, a uh, uh, Nimble Mongoose. Sorry, Nimble yeah. Mongoose, yeah. Nimble Mongoose. Although Nimble Mongoose is probably the best card in Canadian Threshold. Yeah. Anyway, um, and I and the and shortly after that, I think one year later, at Bazaar of Moxen Nine in Annecy in France, I made my first big accomplishment. Um, I finished a 17th out of 511 players with Adnausium Tendrils. Um, it was a 10-round tournament. And um, I went eight and two, I think. Yeah, I went eight and two, and it was such a incredible feeling to sit at one of the top tables. You know, like you have to imagine like this this big room, right? Like with like 500, 600 players, yeah. and then and then and you sitting like I I, st I started like XO um, until round six or something, and I was sitting on like table two, three, and four. And there were like so many people who are who are watching me uh, because I was sitting on one of the top tables. And I mean, at that point, no one knew me, right? Like they were, yeah, just little, just a random guy. Mm -hmm. um, but I felt so invincible <laughs> mm. for the first time. And um, also, I think um, during two or three rounds, ne uh, next to me, there was also another storm player um, with a completely foiled out English foil um, at Northern Tendrils. Um, turn out it was Martin Nielsen um, from Denmark and he is also one of my closest storm buddies I would say. Mm -hmm. um, I also stayed at his house for uh, like one time um, for a, a tournament called the Danish Legacy Championship like two three years ago. Mm -hmm. He's a really really good guy he's also really talented and he barely missed top eight at GP Little also with Storm and yeah 
and he, I think, yeah, I finished 17th and he finished 18th. And after that, you know, we, we kind of like, you know, like shared our, um, our opinion on, on, uh, on Storm. And I was so happy that he accepted me as a, you know, as a, let's say, above average Storm player. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that was my, that was my, like, that was such a blowout for me, you know, like, you, you can't imagine, like, how happy I was. And, you know, like, after all these years of, like, playing a lot of different stuff and I got crushed so many times and, like, all of a sudden, and after, I mean, like, after, like, I would say, like, a, a year or two um, of Storm um, and a lot of gold fishing, a lot of playing against uh, decks without counters, with, with counters and um, common mirrors, you know, mm-hmm. I, I made it and, yeah. Was, I mean, was, it's in, in a lot of ways, it's validation, right, for all the work that you you put yeah. in. And uh, yeah. I know it's not easy to to win with that kind of archetype. Um, and I'm, I'm also wondering, like you, you said, you mentioned like you you go fish a trillion times. I mean, did you? Yeah. What what were like? Did you just play a lot of tournaments and practice a lot? Did you read a lot of stuff online? Like, how did you how did you go from like I want to you know getting beat by Karsten to to getting 17th place? Like. Like mm-hmm. what was the process? Was it was it just practice or? Um, it was a lot of practice. Um, I didn't really, I didn't really read a lot of articles about Storm at the time. Um, but what I did is I, I sat down with Karsten and also some some other guys, and you know we talked a lot about opening hands and what Adnausim Tendrils does, um, the card evaluation, also you know like. Um, uh, for example, like how valuable is a lotus petal? Like, do 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 you do you keep a hand without lands, but like one lotus petal and a ponder, and um, or how often do you cast a lotus petal and crack it to cast that duress, for example? And is it is it worth it? And you know stuff like that. And he like he taught me a lot about um, like the value of every single card and like how to use them. I see. Yeah. I see. By the way, the background. Uh, it's Chinese New Year, so uh, there's a lot, oh, of yeah. fire, a lot of firecrackers, fireworks. <laughs> Sweet. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So don't. It's it's not like there's a battle or anything. Just just like right. you know. Okay, there's not a war going there's on. It's not a war. Okay. No, 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 not yet. Um, uh, right. Okay, so yeah, it does sound like you know um, hanging out with people who are accomplished storm storm pilots and discussing strategy mm. with them is probably the best way yeah. to uh, to level up, at least for you, right? Yeah. Also, shortly after Embers of Mox and Nine, um, we got a, we got a new player, um, a legacy player, um, who was living in Düsseldorf before, but he moved to Berlin to study. Um, Jonathan Alexander, and you know, I mean, you had a podcast with him uh, before, but you know, you do have a little bromance thing, you know, like um, I mean, <laughs> it just, uh, I mean, you know, yes. I, yeah. I love you guys hit it off right away (laughs) (laughs) and um, I remember when yeah he had a weird deck because um, it's it's it was called grinding station yeah back in the day like no one knew about the deck at all yeah and I couldn't really understand why he played more than one tendrils of agony you know because I usually avoided to have tendrils of agony in my hand at all you know and then I played Canadian against him, and yeah, I, I mean, you know, I couldn't win, and you know, he cast all these storm spells right, right out of his hand, and yeah. So I, he is, I, I would say, out of all players in the world, he, Jonathan, is probably the player I trust the most if it comes down to deck building, to strategy, and basically anything about 
Legacy because he is such a talent. Like he knows so much about Legacy, and like I, I respect him a lot. You know, I mean, most most of the time I I make fun of him because you know <laughs> why not? It's so easy, right? And like you know he yeah, like he's so vulnerable. Yeah. But um, um, he's he's a pretty smart player. He's yeah. it's it's so, just it's so uh. If, like, it's so good for you if, if if you have some some time left in in a, in a GP, just go to his table, just just watch him how he plays Magic, yeah. and and you can learn a lot. Like I still learn a lot from him, and uh, yeah. The the thing that's really uh, impressive about him for me is just that he's able to articulate his choices, right? Like the, the some of the writing he's done, like the Stormbox, where like yeah. how would you play this hand, like. He's very good at explaining that. I think a lot of players, right. maybe maybe yourself, like you're very intuitive. Like you know you yeah. should do this, but you. It, but for him, he kind of uh, is able to generalize um, yeah. certain right. things, which is very valuable for right. for other people yeah. to learn. So that that yeah. be my observation. Yeah. Definitely, like most players, you know, for example, if it comes down to sideboarding, most players be like, okay, yeah, I mean, I'll probably bring in like this card and this and this and this, but maybe also this card. But Jonathan is. It's it's crystal clear, you know. Like he says, this card is good. This card is okay, but it's not good enough, so it doesn't, you know, it stays in a sideboard. And he strictly says what to do and what not. And um, and it all makes so much sense. Like before, I, I thought that he's just a dumb idiot. Uh -huh. um, and like you know, because it also sounds a little arrogant. Um, uh -huh. If you know, if you tell people you know what to do and what not, and um, but well, he's confident, out, you know, but it's but he backs it up, right? Yeah, and like sometimes you know, like you have like ridiculous um, discussions with him. I remember at GP Seattle, um, we had a discussion about um, when playing Storm against Miracles, and he and my opponent um, uh, played Surgical Extraction against me, and he cut the basic planes. And Jonathan saw that, and he told him, and like he he stretched out why basic planes is better against Storm than Surgical Extraction. <laughs> <laughs> that was that was hilarious. Like I was sitting there, and I mean I couldn't stop laughing because you know like like the the guy was like yeah you know but you know you can surgically extract like a dark ritual or something and then Jonathan just replied with yeah it doesn't matter it doesn't matter you lose two life it doesn't matter surgical uh, <laughs> extraction doesn't activate the card that says stuff. you lose two life yeah yeah stuff like that you know um it was like the way how he argues. And how he convinces people is just right. so entertaining. It's almost like watching a comedy channel. Yeah, yeah, it's brilliant. And I gotta tell you my story about him too. Is that yeah. I had there's a period of time last year where I hadn't played any competitive Magic for, I want to say like six months. I had not played any Magic, let alone Storm. I told him I had this uh, a GPT coming up right for one of our local tournaments in Beijing. I said, here are the decks that are gonna be there. Can you help me build 75 cards for Storm? And he gave me like the 75, exactly how to sideboard every matchup, exactly what to do. And at first, I was looking at the list uh, without being really detailed. I was like, "There's this is really weird. Like, why are you suggesting that I run like you know nine or eleven discard against miracles?" And but somehow it worked, and I actually won the GPT. So it's like he has Sweet. some way to analyze um, situations, yeah. and in a way that doesn't seem conventional, but somehow it works. You know, and he actually convinced me to do it, and I did it, and I, and yeah. I won the GPT. So it's like there's some, there's some brilliance there that I can't really explain. Okay. That that would be my story about him. Yeah. You know. Um, I also made 
you know, um, in Japan, like my closest magic friends here, like my closest legacy friends in, in Tokyo, they are already fans of Jonathan. Like, you know, like I, I don't want to push it too hard because, you know, otherwise he's, he's going to get, I don't know. But, um, like, for example, my, my buddy, he played Canadian the last time and um, in the tournament, he won and on his deck list online he, and his deck name was like Canadian by Jonathan by Jonathan <laughs> you saw that right I saw and, that yeah yeah like like so they're almost the like this deck only runs two Tarmogoyfs yeah and like <laughs> you know they're already like almost praising him it's, it's just, yeah it's like I keep on telling them you know like don't do it too much like otherwise he just he just gets out of control <laughs> <laughs> don't stroke that ego too hard yeah <laughs> Right, I'm just kidding because I, I I know him as well. So yeah, he's a he's a great guy. So um, yeah. and he's very focused on on legacy and magic. So I, I tend to believe yeah. what he um, what what he promotes his strategies. So, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So uh, I mean, I mean, those are some of your proudest achievements, right? Like uh, like you were telling me before we we talk, like you know you had the bizarre Moxin, you you had the uh, uh, several top, you had a top four in Kyoto, you had like several high finishes, right? Um, yeah. But I, I also wondering, like on the flip side, did you have any um, really frustrating moments as a Magic player, um, whether it was competitive or or otherwise? Like, were there points in time where you were you didn't feel yeah. good about it or anything like that? Oh, definitely. Um, it is almost exactly now. <laughs> oh, really? What's um, going on now? I, I like I don't want to say like now, now, but um, um, so when. I mean, yeah, like this whole topic is pretty focused on legacy only because I, I mean, I, pl I also do play modern, but not as much as legacy. Anyway, um, so I had my my the golden year, uh, the golden Samatari year was basically 2015 when I top four GP Kyoto with the Northern Tendrils, and shortly after, two months later, I made I finished 17th with the same deck in GP Lil. Right. And there was a time when Dick Through Time was legal, and I. I think in Kyoto, I played 15 rounds, or I played 17 rounds, including to, um, the semi-final and the quarter-final, against only blue decks. And that was, it was so incredibly good, because everyone was so focused on cantripping to get Dick Through Time going, but at the same time, they didn't have enough, enough disruption for Storm. Yeah. And I didn't have to... Um, at the same time, you through. just killed them, right? Yeah, like, you know, like, I was not worried about... Thalias or Thought Knots here, so Chalice of the Void, you know, like these cards, they were, they were so weak and so minor in Legacy at the time, so I I could basically build my 75, including my sideboard, to basically beat blue decks, and that's what I did the whole time, and, you know, that's why I was so, um, yeah, I mean, so victorious at this time, but then, Dick Through Time got banned, um, and there was, and after that, I went to three different legacy GPs. It was GP Seattle, where we met, also GP Prague um, in Europe, and and I think two months before GP Chiba. I played at, um, at all three GPs: um, Seattle with Storm, Prague with Storm, and Chiba for some uh, for some reason with Miracles, and I couldn't make day two at all three GPs. Mm -hmm. And um, after, I mean, you know, like. After this golden year, you know, including Kyoto and Lil, um, where I thought that you know, like I can't, I can't miss day two, you know, like I'm, I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna make day two anyway, this yeah. kind of thing, right? Yeah. After that, it was such a big, 
I would say like shot in my leg almost and to, to not be able to do it again because all of a sudden you know like non-blue decks um, rogue decks you know like decks with um, I don't know I don't of the great revel chalice of the Borthalia, or even like these cards combined with counter magic you know they became more popular in, in legacy you know like you remember um, decks like Esper Deathblade for example they have hate bears counter, counter magic and um, and wastelands and hand disruption yeah, and of course, um, the release of all of the Gay Watch um, are basically number one enemy, which is um, Eldrazi. Mm-hmm. And um, I quickly figured out that there is almost no way for Storm, and it doesn't really matter if if you put in weird stuff like Thing of the Eyes or uh, Echoing Truth or Perkins Recall or something like that. Even additional Chromoxes, like it's it, the matchup is still pretty, pretty, pretty bad. It's almost like playing. A legacy storm deck against a vintage uh, workshop deck, um, because you know. I mean, um, do you play a lot of vintage, or do you play vintage sometimes? I, I don't play vintage actually. Okay, because they they usually try to slam like turn one either chalice of the void, uh, trinity sphere, uh, I don't know, like um, sphere of resistance, something like that, right? Yeah, lost stone or all kinds of stuff. Right. Yeah. Yeah, and that's also what um, Eldrazi does. You know, con- like. Pretty much every single game in, in turn one, you, they, they're gonna they're gonna play something weird, you know, like a revoke or an LED or a chalice or like it's a just too fun, hostile fun for this. for storm essentially is what right. you're saying, right? Right, and yeah, it was, you know, like I I had this I had a pretty big discussion with Jonathan and before GP Prague, and it was a time when I was still convinced that storm is the best deck. Uh, I mean, like, a part of me always says that Storm is the best deck in Legacy. Mm-hmm. Maybe even, like, in 10, 20 years. Mm-hmm. And who knows, right? Um, but Jonathan thought that at that time, you know, it's it's time to just put Storm aside and to play something else. And he picked Canadian Threshold um, at GB Prague. I picked Storm. And I got paired against, uh, I think I got paired against seven non-blue decks on day one. Mm-hmm. And... I couldn't make day two with two buys, and which was pretty embarrassing. Mm-hmm. Uh, especially if people around you um, expect you to win. Mm-hmm. I mean, maybe, maybe you know that, right? Like, if mm-hmm. you, you know, like um, if you have like great accomplishments from before, and then you go to a GP, you know, you have like a lot of old friends from Germany, from other countries, and they they all come together, and, and then they see that you're not sitting on table one, but like on table one thousand. Yeah. Then you know, <laughs> um, it's like. Yeah, it's it's a pretty weird feeling because you, yeah. you you don't feel good about yourself, your deck, and then you also kind of like disappoint all your friends also because yeah. they, you know, they have like high hopes, right? Yeah, you're supporting each other, and at the same time you're also sort of uh, uh, giving each other uh, healthy pressure to do better, right? Yeah. Yeah. So. So that was say, not a good time, right? I mean, it's just. Yeah. I mean. Uh, um, I mean, is it? Do you think it's results-oriented thinking? Like, okay, I didn't get into day two, or do you think there were actually things that you did mechanically as a player that um, caused you to not do well, or was it the deck choice? Like, it sounds like it's mostly the meta, but it could also be other two factors, right? Yeah. So there's one um, big problem, legacy. Um, I think um, there's pretty. I mean, there's pretty much like you know anything you, you can imagine is legal and okay in Legacy. I mean, except like the really weird stuff like, you know, like Lotus and stuff. Um, but, you know, 
um, people usually have their pet decks. You know, like when, for example, if someone really likes the card um, Food Chain, you know, he's gonna <laughs> he's gonna play Food Chain no matter how bad it is or how good it is. Yeah. Uh, same for me with Storm. You know, like I mean, if I look back, I only have good accomplishments with Storm. So, which also kind of like means for me, for myself, that you know, if I want to do well again, then I better pick up Storm and not, you know, anything else. Mm -hmm. And, but sometimes it's okay, and it's also the right way to just let go. You know, um, like you, you can't force stuff through um, certain meta games, mm -hmm. and um, that's probably a lesson I still have to learn. Um, yeah. Although you kind of started to apply that and take action because you said you didn't play Storm at Shiba, right? Yeah. Um. That was a. That was a. Yeah. That that was that that was like the also pretty big step because it was the first GP I attended. Um. Without without a single copy of Dark Ritual. Mm. <laughs> and um. Um. I had I had only one buy because of Planeswalker points for that GP and I, I arrived at the GP venue shortly after um, round one and I, when I came in, when I entered the, the, the big hall I heard the announcement, you know, like feature match for round two um, I, can't, I don't remember my, my opponent's name but like this guy against Kai Sawatari and you know and okay, okay I was like okay well that's me you know you better go to the feature match area yeah. and while I was going there a lot of um, like not my closest friends, but like some people who knew me from GP Kyoto and Lil, they thought that I'm on Storm. And I think also the coverage team, they thought that I'm on Storm and they wanted to watch Storm mm -hmm. on the feature match. And that's what they told me. So I felt so bad when, when, when I showed them that I, I was on Miracles because it was almost like I betrayed my own deck, you know. Like <laughs> I, it's kind of a funny because, feeling, because, but yeah, I can understand. Miracles is, yeah. Because Miracles, like most, I think, most storm players they hate miracles basically because of um, counterbalance. Yeah. And I played the number one enemy basically as a storm player. So um, yeah, I saw you on camera, Kai, that time, and I the first yeah. word that came to my mind was traitor. You betrayed yeah. the storm um, yeah. fellowship. <laughs> I know I, um, I'm, I'm sort of kidding, but I actually am no, no. half serious because yeah. I was like. How he's playing? He's playing miracles, you know. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I think that was most. I think that was maybe the darkest, like the uh, the darkest day in Magic for for my whole <laughs> leaving up uh, Magic balance. career. Oh, like I'm not. I'm not kidding because like so many, so many of my friends and like so many of my like I don't want want I don't want to say like fans, but you know like a lot of people who started to play um, Storm because of me. Yeah. Um, they were so. Yeah, they were so disappointed, you know, because I, I picked up something different just to get a better result. Mm. And I didn't even make day two, you know. Mm. <laughs> um, yeah, it was... Uh, I mean, it's I if, if, if the goal is to win the tournament, you felt like that was the best way to do it, right? Yeah, it's almost like, like you and um, GP New, New Jersey, I think, where you picked up um, Death and Taxes instead of Blue Red Delver, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, yeah. I mean, you know, I read your book two times already, and it's, it's, it's just, you know, like you and me, like we, we share a lot of similarities when it comes down to, um, you know, like uh, success in tournaments and like thoughts about winning and losing and picking up the right deck or the wrong deck. Um, yeah, like I, I can relate so much of my own life 
uh, to your stories. So it might be a little, yeah, it, it well, might be pretty. The close. thing about legacy, at least for me, I, I can't put words in your mouth, but for me, mm-hmm. I've always thought that legacy was like. A, a format where you needed to win on your own terms like mm-hmm. it, it, it's almost like a format where like if you are if you do love food chain you have to go with food chain um right especially if you feel like you have some kind of edge um the, the yeah. challenge is that sometimes the edge is um either f- uh false or it or there's no more edge and you you're you're just you still believe it there to be an edge yeah. and that's a problem the other aspect is that sometimes you um at least for me i had a lot of um bad emotions when I thought I wanted to win on my, on my own terms but then I couldn't win so then it, it became this kind of very um, dark cycle of like failure you know um, right so I don't know I, maybe I'm getting a little bit too too deep in it but um, I, I can totally understand that okay you know your Kai Salvatar you've you've won quite a bit using Storm in the past and um, if you're using another deck, there's almost more pressure on you to like day two or win the GP because like why else would you switch decks, right? You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. It was you know, it was yeah, it, it was really weird because especially because um, the day before the main event, I was sure that I'm gonna play Storm. Like that that that's that's so it was it was so yeah, pretty much fucked up because you know, yeah. um, like a couple of weeks before the GP, I asked. Um, Jonathan about you know about storm and um, maybe if you've yeah you, you've seen the, um, the the crazy deck list um, we came up with including yeah. four days in the 75 three in the main and yeah um, that's some crazy stuff <laughs> I I played this deck with, with the days against um, a, a friend who's playing death and taxes and it was it was pretty good until they added a few more copies of Cavern of Souls, basically combat miracles. But Cavern yeah. of Souls is also pretty good against yeah, days. Splash damage against so, you. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And um, yeah. Um, I also showed the, uh, the decklist to uh, Rodrigo Tavares, who was also here in Japan. Yeah. And he said pretty much immediately that he didn't really like the the idea of having counters um, and less discard or less action uh-huh. in the deck. Um, Nonetheless, I, I thought for that time that the day's storm would be probably the the best to dodge um, random stuff, you know, because yeah, like you don't like you don't want to scoop against a turn one um, thorn of ambitus. You you better daze it, you know, yeah. after playing a ponder or something. Yeah, yeah. So, but then um, in the evening, like a couple of hours before they, um, I had I had there was the deadline before. Um, uh, signing at the the online deck list before day one. I yeah for some weird reason I and I don't really remember why I I, I just think that because like in the, the former tournaments I I had some decent results with miracles, but it was like in a, in a you know like in a local game store like that doesn't mean anything, and I had that and yeah I just thought that you know. It's like miracles. Like I had a pretty weird list, um, similar to the one um, Claudio Bonani from Italy, um, who won the GP Lille um, two years ago. Um, it's basically miracles, with, but with four monastery mentors and three days main deck, yeah. uh, which is more like the old countertop golf deck or um, a CTG. Uh, the supreme like blue type. Supreme of... blue, right? Yeah. yeah. But ex- but you know, an exchange of. Uh, Time ago, if you play Monastery Mentor, which is right. just way better, but right. th- it's the same strategy, right? It's it's like a mid-range deck. Sometimes you can even play a Delverish game 
um, with like a lot of counter magic backup. So yeah. the deck was okay, but Miracles was and it still is number one target in Legacy for I would say maybe like two years now. Mm -hmm. Like Miracles is always on top, right? So like a lot of people have dedicated hate for for that deck, and that also cost me day two, I think. I see, I see. Yeah. And and then I mean, what about now? I mean, that was like a few months ago. Um, yeah. If, if there was a GP tomorrow, like how do you think you would handle the situation? <laughs> Um, oh wow, that's a pretty tough question. <laughs> <laughs> I like to put people in tough situations. <laughs> um, I mean, I do have to say Storm, right? Otherwise, you know, like, probably like everyone's gonna gonna, <laughs> gonna, 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 gonna stop this podcast. Well, and then anyway, you're gonna um, last minute audible to Miracles, right? With no, um, like, seriously, um, the deck I would, I would like to pick up now is actually Canadian Threshold. Um, for Legacy, but shortly after it, it's, it's Storm, simply because I, I love it so much. Okay. And um, there's less Eldrazi right now, so that is a good thing. Um, also in GP Louisville, I think there was almost like no Eldrazi in day two, yeah. um, surprisingly, and like a lot of like Bok decks, like mid-range decks, you know, like True Name Nemesis decks, like that's the number one target for, for Storm, right? Like, who cares about True Name Nemesis if you can kill them on the same turn? Right. And, um, yeah, so there's always hope for Storm, and I still think that Storm is, you know, a decent deck. You know, it can do a lot of crazy stuff, and it's uh, and people are not really prepared against Storm yet, or not anymore, because you know, like it's already punished enough, I would say, and people focus more on like sneak and show and other stuff. So there might be a really good opportunity for Storm to come back. But um, the reason why I like Canadian Threshold um, these times is that most. Um, pro players in Japan and Tokyo, they play Miracles because that's the best deck in Legacy. Yeah. Like, I mean, you know, most people say it is. And this Canadian Threshold deck, also built by Jonathan, is designed to beat Miracles almost 100%. I, it, it is absolutely almost impossible to lose against Miracles with a deck um, featuring three Winter Orbs. And you already have one in the main board, and you have infinite counters, and you have less creatures, and it's so much interaction, and it's so hard to beat. Yeah, right. any anything you put on the table. Yeah, yeah. So that's uh, it's. I, I think what you're kind of, what you're saying, or the way I interpret what you're saying is that, um, maybe not interpret, but I, I I'm sort of adding to what you're saying is, it's good to have like more than one deck. Um, because Legacy can have these cycles, right? Like, um, I don't know if you remember, but you convinced me to play uh, Ad Nauseam Tendrils for Seattle because there was just so much Charlotte's Bug and it's like getting buys, right? Oh, definitely, um, yeah. And, and so you want to wait for those situations where there's going to be times where Eldrazi's low, Charlotte's is high, like mid-range is high, then you bring out the Storm, right? There's going to be times when Miracles is like 80% of the metagame, then you bring out Canadian Threshold, right? The, the, yeah, definitely. The, the difficulty of Magic players sometimes is that if you only stick to one deck, you get into trouble a lot of the time. You have to like right. bend over backwards to use like Echoing Truth to gain some yeah. minuscule percentage versus a deck that you should just try to dodge. Like right, it's it's more like the uh, rock paper scissor thing. Yeah, yeah. You know, like it's it's like this whole cycle, right? And like sometimes it, it turns in your favor, sometimes it doesn't. Then you have to change any something, you know. Yeah. But you can't always jam rock, like especially if everybody's on uh, paper, right? So. Oh, definitely, yeah. Like, that's why legacy is like you know slow, 
so entertaining even after so many years you know <laughs> yeah. absolutely um so i mean okay i'm gonna ask another big question because like uh, we kind of went through kind of your competitive history and where you're at now um but if you had any specific lessons that you learned about magic like can you talk about whether there are any lessons you learned about magic that you might have applied to other parts of your life like you know could be anything like you know how you prepare for a game how you build decks strategy how you approach uh magic mentally are there things about magic that um you think are actually helpful outside of magic outside of magic hmm uh let me let me think about this for a short second okay <laughs> um hmm uh yeah so what I, th I mean, it doesn't have to do anything with the, well, yeah, it has something to do with the game itself. I mean, it's, it's actually traveling and, um, I don't, I don't play magic online. I only play paper magic and, um, the game kind of like almost, I mean, it also forces you to get in contact with people who don't even speak your language and who are like so much different, you know, they, they can be like 20 years older than you, they can be like 10 years younger than you, they, they can be like, they, ha they can also have like a completely different background, but it doesn't really matter because, you know, you all come down to this tournament and you play the same cards, you know, and you all love the game and it's, it's just really fascinating for me that, you know, um, even though we're like so many different people, like they all share something and um, I've, Usually been um, one of the young uh, youngest players in, in the play group, um, but so there was like a lot of, you know, like non magic stuff which which I could learn over the years, you know, because usually um, in Germany after tournament we went out drinking after the tournament, you know, like um, we, and then we also talked about other stuff, right? Like about I don't know, like sports, politics, uh, women, of course, yep. and you know. <laughs> <laughs> And uh, yeah, <laughs> and you know, I mean, they they can teach you a lot, um, especially if you're like you know the youngest in the group. Yeah. So yeah, like I, I would say, um, they they taught me way more than my friends back in back in high school. You know, because they're like the same age. They're like you know as stupid as me. And right, you, yeah. you 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 encounter like older people. You make friends with them, and they have different backgrounds. So you. You're exposed right. to like more diverse um, group yeah. of people who, who just right. so happen to love magic, but they have yeah. come from different places, right? Yeah. Also, one of them um, suggested, you know, to, uh, he said, "Yeah, Kai, like, why why don't you just go to Japan? You know, like work in a magic store." Like he he said that as a joke, and, like I mean, like a half joke, like you know. And I thought for at that time, I thought you know that's absolutely impossible, but you know, like I, I tried, and you know, it worked out, and yeah, just. Yeah, just so good to listen to, you know, like other people and, and uh, what they have to say, right? Right, right. Uh, you mentioned uh, quite a number of names um, over your magic career, as it were, like Jonathan, yeah. and Julian, um, uh, I think it was Martin, he, right? The other uh, yeah. Storm player. Like, um, right. were, were they the people that made the most impact to you as a magic player, or were there, are there other um, guys that kind of like were really, really influenced you? Um, so I would say, yeah, so first of all, Peter Rob for getting me into or like showing me what competitive magic means, including, you know, Char Belcher and like the Gifts and Given deck. 
And Jonathan has probably the biggest impact on, still, still the biggest impact on all my playing and deck building decisions because I, yeah, as I said before, I, I trust him the most and he is really talented. Um, what else? I mean, also Carsten Cutter. I think like these, these three um, players are probably the, you know, like my biggest tutors, you know, magic tutors. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, I'm really thankful. Like, thanks guys for, uh, you know, for shaping me, shaping Kai in, you know, Kai Savatari. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Uh, and do you have any magic related goals in the next three to five years? Ooh. I mean, I think m most people would probably say, yeah, I mean, like, I, I want to, you know, join more Pro Tours and win more GPs. Um, I mean, that's too simple, so I'm not going to say that. Um, although I, I, of course, I, I want to, you know, win a GP by myself. Um, mm -hmm. I would say what I would like to do is just... Um, Mm. That's a pretty hard question. <laughs> it is because I mean, I, I, again, it's a, it's a tough question. one because like most people don't know like what they're gonna do in the next six months, let yeah. alone like three to five years. See, you know, what I mean, James, like I'm, I'm, I'm still such a young guy, you know, like I'm, I'm 25, like I don't know what I'm doing in three years. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, well, yeah, I think I have to skip that because okay. like I can't, yeah, like otherwise, like if. I, <laughs> Because um, if I listen to this podcast in like three five years, I might be pretty disappointed. <laughs> <laughs> It'll be around in three to five years. Uh, I'm yeah. sure it will be. Yeah. <laughs> My next question was going to be like, does magic equal life? Because um, if it does, I was going to ask you whether um, you had like life goals in the next like three to five years, um, or you've thought about that as well, like outside of magic. Yeah. Um. So. Like right now, I'm living in, in, in Japan um, for two years now, and I really enjoy it. Uh, my life goal is basically, um, I would like to know, I would like to find the best place to stay and the best work, um, you know, like the work which fits me like the best until I turn, I would say like 30, 35-ish, you know. And um, before coming to Japan, I was also thinking about um, moving to an English-speaking country, you know, like, I mean, the States, uh, Australia, New Zealand, you know, like these kind of countries. Um, even, I mean, why not? Like England, uh, like United um, United Kingdom. Why not, right? Um, yeah, but first I, I wanted to, you know, just um, refresh my Japanese. Uh, but now I did, and um, I also use a lot of English at work and also in the free time uh, when I'm, you know, when, I, when, when I'm out with my non-Japanese friends. Um, and I'm so motivated to see, you know, like the the whole world, you know, like I'm 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 flexible. I, I, I yeah. Whenever I like the last time I went to GPS Seattle, for example, I, you know, I, I saw you guys and like I saw how how different um, American people are in, in comparison to people in Europe or in Asia. Like it's so much different, and I really like the easygoing mode. I would say like. Um, yeah, everything was so simple, you know. Um, Whereas in Japan, um, maybe it's also the same in China. Um, there are like a lot of rules, I would say, but simply because there are so many people, like you know, like, Tokyo is such a it's it's a big city, but and, and with so many people, uh, um, there are certain rules um, 
you know, like where to walk, how to stand in line and stuff like that. And in America, it seems like, it, you know, like these rules don't exist at all and which, and, you know, which can also turn you in a different person. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah. So you would like to maybe see more of the world and figure out where you want to settle, right? That's, how, that's what right. it sounds like. Like, I don't, I I don't want to miss anything. That's how I would like to say it. Like, I, like, right now I'm super happy in Japan and I'm working here at Tokyo MDG and I have a super happy life. I mean, I got a girlfriend and, you know, I'm, and I still get to play a lot of Legacy and Modern if I want to. But at the same time, you know, I'm always wondering if there could be like another Kai Sawatari living in Australia, for example, and doing like some, some other stuff, you know, which is maybe even better. Or like, I don't want to say better, but like, which is, you know, just, I don't know, like so much different that I want to, I want to try it out. Right. And yeah, don't, like, don't you feel that way sometimes? Well, here's the thing. I was going to, I'm glad you asked because uh, when I was around your age, I also kind of felt that it's like, am I at the right place? Am I in the right situation? What if I tried this and that? I think mm. one of the things that I realized, a lot of people told me, and I, I later realized it was true because I actually experienced is that at a certain point in time, like I think for me, it was when I was, when I turned about 30 years old, you realize mm. that you stop um, caring so much about like, what could I be doing and just be more content with who you are as a person. I think when yeah. I was younger in my 20s, I was always thinking about, um, oh, should I be like clubbing or should I be going here and trying that? What if I miss out on something? And then I think mm. later on, I just kind of, I don't know if it's getting older or just experience, like you just end up just feeling like more content with where you are. And I think you realize, at least for me, that mm. happiness is really something that happens when you uh, aspire to do something like as part of a struggle to improve. But that improvement can be anywhere, any place. There's no physical place. And uh, in the end, the result is not what matters, but it's like the process of Mm -hmm. you trying to improve as a person every day as opposed to saying, this is where I need to be in three years or five years. Right. Yeah, Yeah, that makes sense. Right. But it really depends on like your personality and where you are and certain events, good and bad, that happen in your life too. So... Mm. um, which makes me realize that the question I'm asking you before, which is like next three to five years, is very mm. hard. I mean, it's going to change. So um, the, the one right. thing, the one advice I would give you as, a, as an older person is like, don't beat yourself up too much if you, like, don't feel like, oh, I should have done that or I should have done this. Like, just, just understand that in the end things will be okay and you just need to walk your own path and that path can change all the time. Right. So yeah, I actually want to go to the next question, which is kind of a fun one. It's not looking into the future, but into the past. Um, what is one thing that you would tell yourself if you could go back in time five years as a, let's say as a magic player? So five times, which means that... Uh, okay. If you could go back, in t- uh, go back in time five years, not, not five okay. times. <laughs> oh, okay, okay, okay. <laughs> um, so I'll be 20. Yes, if you could go back okay. to your 20-year-old self, <laughs> magic player, would, like what would you tell him? I would tell 20-year-old guy, uh, Kai that um ooh, what is Oh, that was the time when I still was in Japan for that one year. Yeah, when 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 I picked up Canadian threshold and Perfect. stuff, I think. Yeah. So Yeah. Huh. Uh I would tell him to stop with, uh, with Storm first. <laughs> 
<laughs> and not wasting a whole year of like playing uh, Delver Secrets, I think. <laughs> I see. I see. That's pretty solid. Uh, yeah. What about what about if you could go back in time and just uh, as a human being, like not as a Magic player, but just what would you tell yourself, like in terms of general life advice, if you go back five years? So that that is really interesting um, because back like five years um, before, like before um, for the time when you know the one year I was in Japan, I was almost pretty sure that one day I'm gonna end up in Japan after finishing all my studies and stuff um, so I basically kept my promise <laughs> yeah. but, but why did, how did why did you feel that way why were you like sure that was gonna happen at the time um, because like in our family out of us three kids I was I was the one um, who was always interested in Japan like I I talked to my, my to my mom in Japanese, whereas my my brother and my sister they, they did not, and and so like the Japanese is not that good anymore. Mm -hmm. um, I love Japanese food. I love Japanese, you know, like women that, that look, you know, I mean they're gorgeous, right? And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> and and like you know, just just a lot of small little things, but um, yeah. Also the fact that I haven't been in Japan for so long. Yeah, like it's. You know, it ha it was my childhood, but that's about it. And um, so it was still. I mean, it's it's my hometown, kind of, but it's also like uh, something completely new. But I can speak the language. Right. So it was, yeah. Like it seemed really interesting to to come back. So I was definitely like interested in in coming back to Japan. So um, I would tell like the twenty year old guy, um, Kai, to just you know. Just, just do it, then yeah. <laughs> cool, cool. That's a good answer. Yeah. Um, so, what, what is it like? Obviously, you like Japan. Uh, otherwise, you wouldn't be there right now. Yeah. Um, but are there things about Japanese society that uh, you're not really, still not really used to, or maybe will never get used to, or maybe that are a little bit uncomfortable for you still, even after living there two years? Uh, yes, there, there are like a couple of things. Um, for like most of my friends, or like most people who visit Japan the first time, they, they only see the good things, I think. Um, like, you know, I mean, the food's great, you know, like, they're like, there's so, so much entertainment, right? Like, you, you can, you, you can go with, um, go to like, the Disney Resort if you want to, yeah. or um, check out the Pokemon Center, or like, go to magic stores, or, and like, you know, there's like, so much stuff to explore, and it's really, really good for visitors, I think. But um, once you live here, um, you also see, um, I'd say, like the you know the little ne negative things. Um, like give me an example. example. Yeah. Yeah. For example, like um, like I like my I think my biggest fear in life I I have like, I I think I have like two or three biggest fears like but one of them is um, waking up in the morning and all of a sudden I'm dressed I'm dressed like a like a salary man you know like I'm I'm I'm, I'm you know yeah. dressed like. Uh, wearing a suit and stuff and going to like a lame ass I don't know like uh, <laughs> Sony or something like that you know that right. that would be my nightmare yeah um, <laughs> because that also I I kind of connected to you know just um, not being yourself or like not being like being like just one little um, you know part of a big machine mm -hmm. Reese, um, it, in the company where I am now, like Tokyo MDG, um, I can basically almost like be just myself, and and I really enjoy it. And like my bosses are great, and, you know. Like I I can't do a lot of stuff 
um, which I want to do. Mm. And it also motivates me a lot and it also pushes me up and yeah, mm -hmm. I, yeah, th I think that that's one thing. Um, also including the, the overtime work, right? I mean, maybe for a bit that, you know, like Japanese basically work, you know, like they start at seven and they work until the last train. I think that's maybe the reason why they have the last train because otherwise they would stay until the next morning. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I remember when the one time I was in Tokyo, like, um, I remember like the train being really packed, like late in the evening. Cause that's when everyone right. would actually be going home. Yeah. And I remember thinking to myself, um, Japan has a lot of great stuff, but what's the point if you can't enjoy it because you're like t right. working 12 hours a day or longer? Right, you know? like they don't even have time to spend the money they earn, you know? Yeah. yeah. Like they. <laughs> I mean, it, yeah. It, not, so, uh, I, again, not, not to put an entirely negative light, like just for the listeners, right? I don't mean to denigrate any particular country because every country has pros and cons. I'm just asking uh, you, like, what the. What, yeah. uh, what what you see are some of the things that people normally don't don't see, right? So one thing is, I guess, maybe the 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 work culture, the corporateness, if that's a word. Um, yeah. Are there other things about uh, life in Japan that you may not like? Um. Well, I th I think that is basically my my you know like the biggest thing I would say. Um, other than that, they're like just small stuff, but um. I, I think that I think it's okay. I I yeah, I really enjoy like living in Japan. It's, what about um, your interactions with people? Like I, uh, as an outsider, I and I recently went to uh, Kyoto. Um, ah yeah. Uh, in December. Uh, yeah. It's been a while since I've been in Japan, and I just I just feel like people are so polite, and I just yeah. I just think about you know maybe it's different if you if if you're somebody that grew up in Japan, you're used to it. Right. But I I, I just feel like it's almost more tiring even to interact because like you have to constantly smile and nod like there's, yeah. it, it takes more out of you mentally yeah. because you have to um present yourself in a certain way you know what i mean like oh james that, that's a pretty good point um because that is true for real life and also when it comes down to playing magic i mean like magic should be also part of your real life but anyway um mm -hmm. like when i when i get paired against japanese players and if, if i don't really know them um it's sometimes a slight awkward situation like i'm i'm not saying like i dislike japanese players like that's not what i'm saying like i i really like japanese players but mm -hmm. sometimes they're a little different and i think i also act too st i still act too much as a german player you know i mean that's because i i grew up there right yeah like, you know if, if you live in a country for 18 years you even though I look kind of Japanese, it doesn't mean that I, I act like a Japanese, and I certainly do not. Mm -hmm. And, um, for example, I, for example, like some something which kind of which kind of annoys me is um, when someone doesn't have eye contact with you um, when you sit down at a table. I mean, you know, uh, like you, you get you get paired against the yeah. opponent, and you know, okay, well that's table I don't know, like table ten. Okay, I'm gonna sit there, and your opponent is already waiting for you and you sit down and you want to like like I kind of like I want to shake hands and then say hey how's it going you know um, stuff like that you know just just to break the tension a little bit right um, but some but some Japanese are too shy I would say to you know even look at your face they, they kind of like look at your yeah I don't know they look at your playmat I think or they look at the table maybe or... yeah they look at the table right it, 
and um, that kind of annoys me, you know, because I, it's like, hey, you know, like we we both want to enjoy the game, right? Like, mm-hmm. don't don't you want to interact with me? Do do you on, only want to interact with the cards, or mm-hmm. I mean, I'm your opponent, not the cards themselves. Mm-hmm. That's the difference between like when you visit a place and uh, when you live in it. Um, I think when you just visit, you don't notice a lot of these kind of things, or you're willing to yeah. um, to let it go. But then when you're in it 24/7, it's different. Like one of the things that my friend said that was challenging for him when he lived in Japan as a uh, doing exchange program mm-hmm. was that people were so polite and nice, but as a result, it was also difficult to know how they really felt about you. Yeah. Like, um, like, are they really happy? Are they really, you know, you know what I mean? Like, are they really unhappy? Like, like there's a, there's, there's a, there's an extra layer, which is difficult to navigate. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, definitely. Right. I'm, I, I had a, it was, it was in GP Kyoto. Um, it was like the GP Kyoto was two months after I, I arrived in Japan. So everything was pretty new for me. It was also the first time in Kyoto. And I had uh, my round six opponent. He was in Buck Delver, and I played Storm. Yeah. And he was like right at the beginning, like he was smart, like he was extremely smiling, and like so, like <laughs> to a point where I thought that you know that that must be like some sort of sickness already, you know? Yeah. Like I'm, and he's brain damaged. We should, we, like and we, we shook hands. <laughs> like he didn't really talk much, but he smiled the whole time. Yeah. Uh, it was almost creepy, you know, like even when I cast like for example a dress and you know I stripped his counter magic and he was completely hopeless, you know, like and, yeah. and crushed him He still smiled and he said, oh, yeah, well done and uh, like but like in a really weird way and yeah. um, I uh, Even after the game I was I had I was absolutely clueless like I didn't know if, if he was mad at me or if, if, if he was or if he was actually okay yeah. or you know as you said, like so- sometimes it's like they're like wearing a mask or something. Yeah, yeah. Although I um, would imagine that y- you know, as you as you live there longer, like two years or whatever, mm-hmm. you you start to have a better sense, right? And then yeah. I'm guessing that when you get to know someone better as a friend, um, they they start to open up with you. Or once you start having a few drinks, I- I'm pretty sure that that will right. fade away, right? So yeah. yeah. <laughs> Fun fact is that like mo- most of my um, my best magic friends are usually Japanese who have been in a non-Japanese country before. <laughs> oh yeah, um, no, that's, that's yeah, yeah. Be- because um, it yeah, it's it's really weird. Like if 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 a Japanese goes like to America, Australia, to any other country, even for a month or something, they they kind of you know yeah. they they open their eyes, you know, and they they like they. They kind of accept different cultures, I think, and they also, I mean, they also understand my, 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 sometimes I, I kind of talk in like in English, um, how to say it, like in, uh, the keywords in, in the, key, the magic keywords in English instead of Japanese. I, o- I also usually, um, call the car, uh, the, the car by their English name and not Japanese name because I, I don't, I don't know even half of them. Yeah. You know what? The, the 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 more we talk, the more I realize that we do have a lot of similarities. Like, yeah, well, we not, do, not, <laughs> not just like not just like how we approach magic, but also our environment. I mean, the way I feel, I, I feel like I feel almost this um, similarity because in China, it's it's the same. It's like just because I speak uh, Chinese or Mandarin doesn't mean yeah. I I'm a local, right? Like like right. the language is only one part of it, but it's like how you're brought up in the in the society. It's so different and 
I don't use Chinese card names either because I don't know them half the time. And, you know, yeah. like it's, um, but once you get to know somebody, like how I've started to make better friends in the magic circle, but I, I would say for 60%, 70% people, I still don't really, um, I get along better with people that I can speak English with. It's just, it's yeah. just a comfort zone thing for me. So, yeah. Okay. Um, but, it's also, it's also like how, how to interact with you. I think it's yes, also like, you know, yeah. There, there's it's weird it's like there's that one camp of people that are like you speak chinese so i'm gonna uh interact with you as if you're completely chinese and i'm sort of like confused sometimes on how to respond and then mm -hmm. there's the other camp is like oh, okay you're a foreigner so i'm gonna treat you like a foreigner and then i and then i'm like and then i almost feel like hey i can speak chinese like you shouldn't be speaking english to me like it's yeah <laughs> you know oh, it's kind of weird right. it's kind of you never yeah. quite feel like you belong for some reason yeah yeah um, but yeah, my next question and probably the the final one uh, <laughs> is okay. uh, I, I got to give a shout out to you because like I've seen you do a lot of excellent video production, like um, your MTG videos, which are extremely hilarious and uh, <laughs> very well made. And I know you're you, you're self-taught, and I also see some of the painting, the work that you've done. I guess it's it helps not have Wi-Fi at home, so you can focus on that kind of stuff instead of <laughs> surfing the web. Um, like I'm, I'm wondering how you you seem to have like a kind of a talent for these kind of artistic things. I wanted to know like how did you start doing these types of activities, and and what is the what is the I, like how meaningful do you find these things? I, it's a two-part question. Let's start with like how did you start doing these things? Um, well, in in middle school, you know, like my middle school was um, focused on music, right? Um, yeah. So, like, I yeah, um, I played the violin for now I think more than sixteen years now, and um, like, I'm I'm like now I'm far from a professional musician. Like that's definitely something I'm I'm not. But um, this and and drawing pictures or like doing art is a way for me to sometimes to uh, how do you say like uh, to blow up steam no like to to relax you know I mean? or like, to unwind to relax yeah, yeah. To, you know to, to just absolutely just um don't think about anything you know like when I, when i play music or when when i draw i um i don't think about let's say work or like any kind of trouble or anything you know like it becomes all clear and for me, it's it's a it's a nice way to, yeah, um, just be myself for you know, like an hour or two. Right. So that's, that's really point. nice. Yeah. I also um do some um, alterations on my own cards, um, mostly on basic lands. Like you know, I paint them a lot. Um, for example, like you know you know the snow uh, snow covered island from Ice Age, right? Yeah. So that's island, for example, I use for all my decks. If, like if I play um, basic islands, and you know, I've, and the picture is great because there's not much on the uh, on the artwork, so I can paint a lot of different stuff. For example, like a ship or like a house, a town, um, I don't know, a church, a s snowman, anything. Yeah. And um, yeah, I mean, and you know, there are like a couple of uh, players who already asked me if if I can draw them something like, mm. which is so so I sometimes I kind of connect my um, my art to to the cards and yeah because I, I think like magic cards are so like beautiful especially old uh, like old frame cards right and yeah. like um, yeah 
So it's very fitting because you you kind of got into Magic initially just admiring the art, right? Before even knowing it was a game. So in some ways, yeah. it's it's it makes sense. Yeah. 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 Also, um, it might sound a little weird, but um, one of one of the most important things for me when playing Magic is how to touch your cards um, in a I would say like elegant way. It, it, it's it might sound completely you know just yeah crazy not, not really and crazy for, because like, everyone like, um, people are very what, magic players really like to organize for example like table, right? um when when i play magic i the way i i, I hold my my uh, the cards in my hand how how i shuffle them in my hand how i tap cards that's really important like how i tap creatures for example sometimes i see players who you know for example take both their hands to tap a creature, which looks absolutely ridiculous, <laughs> or, um, or guilty as charged, <laughs> or, or tap a creature like like you know ninety degrees, the, the next creature like forty five degrees, and the, the next one like maybe like ninety degrees the other way around, yeah. uh, like that is absolutely no go. Yeah. Um, like, and this is basically the the most goldfish I'm doing these days. Yeah. When I go home and I have nothing else to do, I play. For example, I pick up Canadian Threshold, for example, and I start. Um, <laughs> I start. Well, you know, tapping my cards in the most elegant way—it's <laughs> right. yeah, it's it's so ridiculous. But like you know, like I I think I've tapped Nimble Mongoose at uh, the last couple of weeks, like like a trillion of times, seriously. Um, and I make different hand moves to just see like what what looks the coolest, and I do it like even in front of the mirror, which is. Mm. Yeah, like next level tapping, I guess. Next, next level. Yeah, I mean, I, I think you've just, you just, un, you just told us the secret of how you get better at magic. Yeah, just. <laughs> <laughs> you gotta look good on camera when you when you're right. tapping it, right? Yeah. Uh. <laughs> nice, nice. But what about the the video production stuff? Like that, like I. Honestly, they're very well done, and I wish at some point we could do a collaboration. But uh, oh like, yeah, yeah, like, like how how did you uh, like how did you start doing that kind of stuff, and what made you go into that? Like, it's very artistic. So, so. yeah, um, <laughs> so when I had my um, job appointment here at Tokyo MDG, um, my boss asked me if I want to do some sort of coverage, right? And I mean, I was at that point like I said okay to almost everything. Uh, because I was so hyped to go to Japan and you know work in a card store, and I said, yeah, sure, I'm gonna do it. And um, and then a half year later, um, he asked me if I wanna start a YouTube channel. And well, I had basically zero experience in either uh, be in front of the camera if it comes down to like a short video or editing. I had like I had no idea, and like I, I mean I. You know, I watch. I, I still watch some YouTube. You know, like when I have time, but um, I'm usually not a big fan of like these bloggers and stuff. You know, like people who just talk about their lives and stuff. Um, but anyway, you know, I I started to watch some of them to just get an idea how how it works. And um, then you know, my boss asked me if if I wanna if I wanna start a for example like weekly or monthly um, magic show um, where I talk about um, specific magic topics or um, stuff which I think is funny or like but but mostly related to magic you know I can also in invite guests and I can basically do whatever I want as long as um, it's entertaining and as long as it's something I, I want to do and honestly 
I look pretty, I might look pretty relaxed in front of the camera, uh, but first, I would say almost the first whole year, I had like a headache, um, like so many times before, before because um, I didn't know like, you know, what to talk about, you know, like who to invite, uh, what to say, how to say, how to be funny, or if not, <laughs> and you know, like these kind of things, right? Like you have so because um, it's it's really really difficult to come up with something which is which uh, which is like an interest for anyone, you know. Like I mean, because magic is so huge, you know. Like, you know, you have competitive players, you have let's say only EDH players, you have people who don't even play magic but who like to collect misprints for example yeah. you have only standard players like you have so many different kinds of people and yeah for me like it, it was so hard to think about to think outside the box and see okay well like what um what is something i, I can say or do to entertain people and it is still a pretty hard question to be honest um i started with um the first episodes about basically um, differences between uh, magic in Asia and in, in Japan and magic in other countries and you know for example my, my, my second video was about um, playing against Japanese versus playing against American um, which got a lot of clicks right that was pretty and good yeah <laughs> that was pretty yeah like I, I got also to um, you know like a like the ideal American and the ideal uh, Japanese opponents to play against and yeah I, um, for anyone um, Please check out I'm Kai Guy MTG um, on YouTube. It's yeah, like I think we or uh, we already have like 17 videos up there, and I do a lot of different stuff, and I'm still exploring what's you know what's the best and or what fits me the best, and uh, yeah, like we do everything from you know like this comparison. We also do um, also introduce like new formats to people such as. Uh, Mumia Cubed, for example, which is uh, um, which just was a thing on Magic Online, I think. Um, but that in real life, you know, I challenge one of my uh, best buddies from back in the time, and he's called Andy Karowski from from the States. He now lives in America, but I played against him um, um, on a video with Pauper, with Mumia, um, you know, even a standard deck from uh, 1996 against 2016, which was. I think the best, I, th I would say the best Kaiga MTG um, so far. Um, like that video got so many clicks and that uh, uh, the Japanese Wizards of the Coast, they invited me to one of their pre-pre-releases because of that video. Oh, nice. And yeah, like that wasn't, yeah, that wasn't the first time to play like in a pre-pre-release, like, you know, together with all the Wizards people, uh, Wizards of the Coast Japan. That was pretty nice. So what was um, the, like, Working on that, I mean, it's 17 episodes now, or 17 clips. Uh, yeah. What would you say is like one of the the biggest learnings you've had from uh, starting to do that to where you are now? Like, what what, mm -hmm. what were some of the biggest learnings? Um, the biggest learnings, I'd say, like after after like this one and a half years, I feel way more confident in um, presenting myself in front of the camera or in front of anyone. Um, while speaking Japanese, like that was that was my my biggest, you know, um, how how to say like there was uh, growth uh, maybe personal yeah growth. right, like you know like I could 
I can say the same thing in German, you know, like, like 10 times. But, you know, like saying the same thing in Japanese was sometimes even, even still, you know, like it was sometimes a little challenging. Um, do, like, even if I use the same words in Japanese, you know, um, sometimes you have to change words or you ha we have to rephrase uh, sentences. Uh, to make to make it sound better in, in, uh, in a different language, right? You yeah. you can't just translate it like one to one. Yeah, exactly. And um, so I I now feel way way more confident, and um, yeah, I also feel like I've I've also like done something for, you know, I mean, for the community, kind of. I mean. <laughs> yeah. No, it's good. I mean, I think the videos are are meant to be funny and humorous, but they also have some information in there that can be helpful, right? And uh, yeah. and I also think you picked a great uh, medium, which is video, because like nowadays people don't really read so much, or, like, or if they do, it's very short um, articles, but videos have a lot of, uh, lot of appeal, so I think you've... and, and, mm. you've, and you, you strike me as someone who already has a very creative background, so uh, the one thing I would say for you is just sort of... Uh, you know, keep it up because um, it's it's really fun to see that stuff coming. From yeah, you. thanks, so, James. Yeah, um, <laughs> but yeah. So I guess we've been talking for an extremely long time. Hopefully, you haven't fallen asleep yet. Um, oh, I, well, yeah, know, I'm fine. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I can uh, talk but, for like another two hours. <laughs> <laughs> we can do like the the Jonathan uh, length podcast or. Oh yeah, let, yeah. let, let, let's do that. I mean, yeah. Maybe we can, we can um, ask him if he wants to join us. That would be. Yeah, that would be that would be, be fun. Yeah, yeah. I kind of want to get him back again. Um, yeah. But maybe like, but maybe we should turn on the cameras because he's like, he's a pretty good-looking guy, you know. Like, I, yes, yeah. as are anyway. you. So I think I would have to like, <laughs> I would have to hide myself. But uh, the camera could run for you too, or I could have like some kind of like general background of like some like Brad Pitt or something like as my avatar. I don't know. All right. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, yeah be it's been uh it's been awesome talking to you and uh you know, I, I this is a really good first initial talk. Um you know, again, thank you so much for being on Humans of Magic and uh we'll probably find a way to do a group group chat next time and uh I, you know, I I certainly really enjoyed it. Um I was just joking about the falling asleep part. Uh, I I really felt like I had a better sense of who you are as a as a person. I think for people that um, are interested in your magic career, um, I think that's also useful for the listeners. All right. Yeah. Thank you so much, James. It was it was really fun. 